A one-point game. started rolling my dad's tube socks and shooting imaginary game-winning shots in the great western form I knew one thing was real I fell in love with you a love so deep I gave you my all from my mind and body to my spirit and soul as a six-year-old boy deeply in love with you I never saw the end of the tunnel. I only saw myself running out of one. And so I ran. I ran up and down every court after every loose ball for you. You asked for my hustle. I gave you my heart. Because it came with so much more. I played through the sweat and the hurt. Not because challenge called me. But because you called me. I did everything for you. Because that's what you do when someone makes you feel as alive as you've made me feel. You gave a six-year-old boy his Laker dream. And I'll always love you for it. But I can't love you obsessively for much longer. This season is all I have left to give. My heart can take the pounding. My mind can handle the grind. But my body knows it's time to say goodbye. And that's okay. I'm ready to let you go. I want you to know now, so we both can savor every moment we have left together. The good and the bad. We have given each other all that we have. And we both know, no matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks, garbage can in the corner, five seconds on the clock, ball in my hands. Five, four, three, Two, one.
Promotional consideration paid for by the following. StevieRichardsFitness.com It's a brand new year, so make a brand new you by joining the SRF Resistance today. Russo'sBrand.com Get the real shoot from the most controversial personality in wrestling, Vince Russo. ProWrestlingTees.com Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talents worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and enjoy your 20% discount for the first five days of the new year and support indie wrestling today. GetAcreGold.com the online subscription service that delivers gold discreetly to your front door. Grow your gold stash using the affiliate link getacregold.com backslash horseman to start your subscription. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at get underscore acre and tell them the Hami Media Group sent you for an opportunity to win a free gold bar. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Speak your mind. Cross the line now, say the truth. Why don't you take it back? It is Monday, January 27th, 2020, and you are tuned into the simulcast of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented and simulcast as your Monday locker room from Hami Media. In association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com and now unleashed at NDPW.com. On this week's show, we're talking hard times, worlds collide, and of course, your Royal Rumble review. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com, and Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the ring announcer, the voice, all other kinds of shit. He's the real... RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that honor of a B to the V. Rick Vickery. And oh, what a glorious morning it is. Three days. Epic pro wrestling all over the place. And I got to say, absolutely enjoyed each and every day for different reasons. Coming in here in a great mood, ready to put things over. But hey, let's cut right to the chase. We got the Big Max flowing early in the morning. We got the cocktails on ice. It's oh so nice. The Queen reigns supreme in the Royal Rumble. But Jugger, I, I can tell, man, you are you are overly excited here. That that look, that look on your face. I mean, you're smiling, you're grinning ear to ear, because you know it. You know it too. This means she's only two away from tying Stone Cold Steve Austin for winning the most Rumbles in WWE history. What an amazing achievement that is going to be. So for such, for such a spectacular superstar. The queen is the precious Shar Shar. I mean, it doesn't get any big, bigger and better than this. It, it's so big. It's so grand that we had to invite the neighbors over. 
We couldn't even do this show alone. We had to invite a special guest in with us. Well, you see, I, what I knew was going to happen was you were going to shill all over this crap, and I just don't have the energy to fight with you. So instead, I brought in one of our good compadres from over at the HTM Podcast Network. He is one of the hosts of Turnbuckle Talk, which you can find online at turnbuckletalks.podbean.com, and as well as one of the hosts of HTM Tech, as well at the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com. He's Big Joe Morin. Yeah, we got a fucking Canadian on the show today. Joe, you don't have to edit yourself. Welcome to the locker room. Well, thanks, you, thanks, guys. I mean, that's uh, the first time I've gotten a, a really nice intro like that. Uh, I've, I've actually made my way down from Canada. It's actually nicer in Southern Ontario, Canada, where I am right now. I've come all the way down to, to Iowa, where the fuck you guys are. Her and uh, it's actually worse down here than it is back where I am in Canada. Yeah, there's nothing worse than Canada. Um, I could disagree. With that. Uh, gentlemen, before we get into all of the pro wrestling stuff, um, we have to address the big news from yesterday. And I'm not talking about Charlotte Flair. I'm not talking about Drew McIntyre. I'm not talking about anything that happened at Worlds Collide. And I'm certainly not talking about hard times. I am talking about the life and times of one Mr. Kobe Bean Bryant. Um, guys, this one hit me hard. I have, it is now quarter to nine. Um, as we're recording this show, I have been up since two 30 yesterday afternoon. Um, when I was asleep, when the news broke and Carly came in and woke me up with tears running down her face. And I've basically been a bawling sop of pile of Jargo since uh, this news broke. Kobe Bryant, my favorite basketball player of all time. He's not the GOAT. Michael Jordan is the GOAT. It's, it's very much like Ric Flair. Flair is number one. We can debate number two. Michael is number one. We can debate number two. Uh, Kobe Bryant, absolutely in that conversation. I spent so much of my life watching Kobe Bryant play basketball. Uh, Huckleberry, I'm going to throw over to you first because you, of course, very familiar with LeBron James. Probably the the biggest comparison that we hear when it comes to Kobe being Bryant. Uh, what what were some of your favorite memories of Kobe? Well, you know, I want to speak to this overall situation. The last couple of weeks, Jargo, you know, we've had uh, the honor, the privilege to talk about you know individuals being selected for the Hall of Fames that are coming up here in twenty twenty. And one of the points that we continually emphasize there was how much more impactful it is now because that we're seeing, you know, the, the honors, the success being acknowledged by so many individuals that were there when we were really coming into our own, you know, when we were really understanding sports that were so impactful on our lives. And as, as great as it is, and that influence that we see with those individuals going into the hall, this is just as impactful. You know, somebody like Kobe that defines generations, and I know there's some people out there, you know, he, well, you, you don't know this individual. It's just a sport. What well, it talks to, you know, the grander picture of what, you know, the influence and the touch that athletes can have and the power of sport and the power of entertainment to be able to influence and, and let us escape the, the Mondi lifestyles, you know, that we run through every day. This, this was absolutely devastating, powerful at the same time. I'm still in disbelief. And I was trying to no-sell this thing repeatedly. And, you know, especially when you see TMZ, you know, at first, okay, this, no, I got to wait till somebody else. And then you see like the New York Post or, and then you see 
like MSNBC or Fox News picking it up, and you're still like, okay. Until I hear it from like ESPN or the Lakers, I'm still holding out here. And then it, it, that harsh reality hits you that an accident has happened, a, a travesty, you know, and just not Kobe. We just didn't lose, you know, one of the, the greatest of our generation here uh, to inspire in athletic wise. But he had a young daughter that that was lost here. Other individuals were lost here. This is going to have a, a major impact on these families. And as we know, you know, Kobe's family, they've endured quite a bit. You know, his wife stood by his side, you know, albeit no one is perfect, especially in that lifestyle. I mean, you're going to see those pressures. It's hard to stay away from that. People have their faults. And I think really that's what kind of that connect is more with us because we can see sometimes, okay, yeah, they are up on this pedestal. They have achieved this greatness, but they still have those faults like we do. And that's where you get that connect and you can live through them. So to their family, to the, all the families, to anyone that's lost there, that anyone that's feeling this thing, uh, you know, just thoughts and well wishes go out to you. But Kobe himself, I, talk about memories. Where to begin? As you were talking before we started rolling here, Jargo, you know, we're we're restructuring our, our sports shows this week. Well, we're just going to focus on Kobe because I can't do it justice here in just a couple of moments. But overall, I mean, just the finesse and the style that he handled himself. It really came off just as a true pro all around, you know, outside of the few little tit tats. And you wonder how great those teams could have been, you know, if him and Shaq could have, co- you know, coexisted. Nine people on the chopper. Um, Kobe, as well as his 13 year old daughter, Gigi. Um, and to kind of bring Gigi into this conversation, uh, Gigi at the age of 13 was already being recruited by the University of Connecticut which is by far the standard when it comes to women's basketball, and it has been for 20 years. That's how good Gigi was. And they were kind of looking to her to be that Michael Jordan, if you will, for the WNBA, because they knew people would tune in to watch women's basketball games just to see Kobe Bryant's daughter. And if she was good enough, she could be that face of the league. And just an awful, awful tragedy. Um, Kobe, of course, also three other daughters, 17, three, and only seven months old, which just, this is going to be a hard one, guys. It's a hard one. But if I could, I'd say if I could jump in real quick for Joe, uh, shares his thoughts there. Just one more point I, I wanted to put out there for everybody. This is a, a terrible accident involving a helicopter, but this is something that was routine in their life. Mm-hmm. This was like an everyday thing. You know, Kobe had used this thing for years, going back and forth to games. The family used this for travel through California. This was regular routine. So I think we all need to kind of step back here and, and look at some of those things that we begin to take for granted. You know, driving to work, uh, going out to, to get something to eat, going to meet your friends somewhere, going over to families for a function. You don't know in a moment where something like that could happen and that could all be gone. Kobe's helicopter literally had its own parking spot on top of the Staples Center. That's how often he would take a chopper, whether it would be to practice, whether it be to games, whatever. Um, Big Joe, I I, I know you're Canadian and this is not ice hockey, but uh, do you have any fond memories of Kobe? 
Absolutely. Like you guys had mentioned, one of the premier basketball players of our generation. I mean, he's right up there when you think Michael Jordan and whatnot. Uh, and for me, just uh, the big standout memory from him, of course, is, uh, and this kind of uh, comes to, to Ken a little bit too, was in the, in 2006, Kobe having that 81 point game against the Toronto Raptors. I mean, one of the, the best single performances of all time in the sport. I mean, just it's incredible when you when you look at typically what a player scores during a basketball game. I mean, 81 points for one player. I mean, it's just it's I can't even my brain can't even process that. Yeah, there are entire teams that don't score uh, this many points in one game. The Lakers barely scored 81 points in 2010 when they beat the Boston Celtics to win the NBA championship, Kobe's last championship. Uh, For me, there's one memory that really stands out more than any other. And it, it just speaks to the tenacity and the personality of Kobe Bryant. And that's the game when he ruptured his Achilles tendon. Kobe has the ball. He falls down to the floor in a heap. Gets fouled. Tears his Achilles. He's all the way at the other end of the floor, down by the free throw line. The Lakers call timeout. Kobe gets up off of the court, walks to the bench, which is about 65 feet away, goes through the timeout, gets up off the bench, walks all the way down to the other end of the court to the free throw line, shoots two free throws on a torn Achilles tendon, And then they call timeout and take him out of the game. And after the game, when they asked Kobe, how are you feeling? The first thing out of his mouth was, I'm pissed. That was the Mamba mentality. Kobe brought so much more to this world than just basketball. And we are going to kind of reflect on his basketball career and kind of what he meant to the world of basketball this Thursday on HTM Sports. But to bring this back into the world of professional wrestling, when Kobe got drafted into the league, he was 17 years old. Couldn't even sign his first contract because he wasn't old enough. His mom had to sign the freaking contract for him. Should have been a blue devil. (laughs) Yeah, and he would have been too if he would have actually went to college. He he and Mike Krzyzewski had an incredible relationship thanks to USA Basketball. But he was that hot upstart rookie that came in Rick, you mentioned everything that happened in Colorado in 2003. That was kind of a heel turn for Kobe. Nobody liked Kobe Bryant. Everybody was against Kobe Bryant. And what we would see over the course of the next 13 years, 13 years after that incident, would be the greatest redemption story I think I've ever seen in professional sports. If that's not a babyface turn, I don't know what in the hell is. And the entire world now mourns the loss of Kobe Bean Bryant, as well as everybody else that was on that helicopter. Oh boy. Gentlemen, let's, uh, let's go ahead. Let's shift to the world of professional wrestling because you know, Kobe would want the show to go on. Hell, we saw it in the NBA last night. There were eight games played last night and those were eight very, very bad games. I just, just sloppy basketball. Nobody was into it. Um, but let's talk about NWA hard times. Uh, this show happened on Friday night. We'll run through the results here, but first Rick, I know that you are huge into the NWA. It's one of your favorite pro wrestling shows on television these days. What was kind of your overall thought on hard times? Well, I think, you know, this was a perfect example of what the, the NWA represents. It is that old that true old school. I mean, you look at these match times. I don't think we had really anything stretch over 10 minutes. 
You know, it's about getting in there, getting your work done. Uh, they, they use kind of body language, character work inside of the matches themselves to tell these stories. It's the NWA. That's what this thing is about. It's about these fun short rides. It's about that traditional old school mentality. And I think that they hit a home run here with this thing. And I understand this isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. Jargo, I know you have trouble sometimes because it, it's it's not maybe up to – I don't want to say that you're making that comparison to it's not the, the video game style of AEW, but it's obviously, I mean, not the same strong style that we see from Japan. It, it is in a classification of its own, and I love that. You know, variety is the spice of life, and that's what we're getting here with the NWA. They are staying true and maintaining their course and continue on with their presentation here. I thought maybe what – Maybe the show was a little overbooked. Maybe too much emphasis on the tournament here. Maybe take out a round here and, and really allow some more time for in some of these matches. I mean, I, these tournament matches, you get into what, like your your semis or quarters or whatever they are. And these things aren't even, I mean, the first three matches on this thing didn't go over 10 minutes to combine. Well, it was a, it was a six minute and five second time limit. 6.05. Right. I get that. So I, I don't know if, if you're over gimmicking there right now. A little bit. But yeah, I, I mean, you look at the times here for these openers. What, what do you got? 308, 235, 350. I mean, that's great. I mean, you're getting more time in your entrances here, but that is what it's about. It's about introducing that character, getting people revved up, getting these matches through and get keep moving on. But overall, you know, going in, I understand what the NWA represents. It's something that I enjoy. That's what I've invested in. So I enjoyed myself. As I said, I taking things at face value throughout this weekend, I really enjoyed professional wrestling for this three-day run. Joe and I talked about this show a little bit before we started recording earlier today. And the, straight up, this is my issue with the NWA. Because you know, I love championship wrestling from Hollywood, which is very much the same kind of format. My problem at this point with the NWA is nostalgia only lasts for so long. When it first started, I thought it was a fantastic concept, but when you're doing nostalgia week after week after week, and then you start getting into week 10, week 12, week 15, the nostalgia kind of starts to wear off for me. Big Joe, what did you think of this show? What What is kind of your overlying thoughts on the NWA at this point? For this show, I kind of caught the. I didn't get to get a chance to watch the full on full show. I kind of caught the the Coles Notes version, so to speak, on it. And uh, I'm very much like you, Jargo. Uh, but uh, again, at the beginning, I was like Rick. I, that the initial charm, I, I was I was drawn in that studio type wrestling. I, I loved it. But for me, just the um, that effect kind of wore off rather quickly for me. Like I said, with the nostalgia is great. But it, it kind of slowly kind of deteriorated for me. I, I still, it's interesting because, you know, we uh, tend to kind of criticize other companies and other matches for being too long, you know, and then we get these kind of short and sweet kind of matches with the NWA. So it's, uh, it, it's a tough thing. I, I really want to, to really get into it, but yeah, just, just that, um, that they need to kind of embrace some newer talent and just kind of get away from uh, the nostalgia trip a uh, when it comes to that. 
And we would see some new talent make debuts on this show. And I, I, I thought it was very good, um, especially like uh, Matt Cross, Son of Havoc from Lucha Underground. Super happy to see him inside of an NWA context. Uh, let, let's kind of run through these NWA TV title tournament matches. Uh, the, the first round that we saw on the pay-per-view, Trevor Murdoch defeats the question mark. The NWA fans were not very happy about that. Of course, we would see the question mark a little bit later. Dan Moff representing ring of honor defeats zicky dice ricky starks defeats matt cross and then we had it was supposed to be tim storm facing off with mr ken anderson um but he was not able to compete at the show not medically cleared so tim storm gets a bye into the semifinals. uh then we would have a couple of matches in between Huckleberry, what did you think of this this first round of these TV title matches? Were you satisfied with uh, what they did with Tim Storm, especially uh, just giving him a buy into the next round rather than replacing Mr. Anderson? Yeah, I was a little surprised there. Usually when we see this kind of play out in the tournaments, they'll save a little bit of time. We will see someone get that pass, but it's usually reserved for that big heel. You know, I'm kind of one of the first ones that comes to, to mind is going back to the early days of the King of the Ring and you're seeing Bam Bam Bigelow getting to hit that pass in there to take on Bret Hart. You know, how can the smaller, you know, Hart Foundation member, the excellence of execution, overcome these odds? A very fresh, big, athletic, agile monster like Bam Bam. It was interesting to see him go this route if their hands force or not. You know, they could have mixed this thing up, found a competitor to slide in this position, maybe come up with a double jeopardy situation for someone that had lost something along those lines. It's not like this is dropped on you last minute. You're going into the show prepared for this. Speak to the target and something that Joe had just mentioned, talking about fresh faces. And really, that's what we were getting here through this TV title tournament. You're getting some new looks. You're not relying on the old school figures from, you know, the 90s, the early 2000s and all that. And as we get to this final, we're going to see that's exactly what they did. They've got someone that is that young blue chipper that has that fresh look that can become and represent what the TV titles always meant to the NWA. And that is to be to go out there each and every week and be that work that workhorse. Absolutely. Uh, Big Joe. Well, I know that you didn't necessarily get to see all of these matches. What I did want your take on is the fact that Dan Moff, as well as Matt Cross, representing Ring of Honor inside of this tournament uh number one i didn't realize that matt cross had signed with ring of honor but that's awesome uh big joe what do you think is kind of the status of the roh nwa partnership at this point first of all you read my mind on uh, dan moff because uh for me you know as much as i was kind of critical i mean that dude's amazing uh, as you guys and listeners are aware i love the the big athletic guys you know like your keith lee's like your big e's and one of those big guys that can really kind of move and do stuff that doesn't make sense for a bigger guy i mean that stuff is fantastic and uh this partnership with uh, nwa ring of honor it's beneficial for both companies at this point. I, I think that um, that growing partnership is only it's it's going to be really beneficial, and it'll be interesting to see you know what they can kind of do working together. Maybe they can put on some of these bigger shows and whatnot. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, that grow, and uh, you know even with some new Japan stuff in here, it, it's really interesting. It's uh, the the, uh, the landscape going on with these companies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the tag team championships. My new favorite tag team, and I can't wait for these guys to break up because I actually want to see the team. Um, I'm affectionately calling this team beer dummy 
Yeah. It's the team of Eli Drake and the cowboy, James Storm, one of my personal favorites. They claim the NWA World Tag Team Championships, defeating the Rock and Roll Express and the Wild Cards to become champions. Big Joe, I'm going to go to you on this one. What do you think of the team of Beer Dummy? Love the name. That's perfect. I mean, you got to, yeah, you got two guys that are almost kind of polar opposites of each other becoming a team. It's genius. Genius. Huckleberry, what do you think of Beer Dummy? I'd say, you know, immediately when they, when they made this switch, they go with Beer Dummy. I was a bit surprised, but as Joe is pointing out here, you look at the Yang and the Yang, these two different characters coming together. It's going to be very entertaining. And, and it's not saying, okay, that they couldn't continue on as a unit and chase maybe the heels. I thought they were going to go with the wild cards and go, you know, with the babies chasing. But at that point, I think you need that glue to hold these two together for the time being. If they come up short here in this match, and then to me, they would probably, I mean, logically, it would dictate that they go their separate ways. They start beginning chasing the different singles titles. So now that we've gone ahead, made the move, it makes a lot of sense now. I'm interested. I'm invested to see how these guys are you know, just going to kind of coexist. I think it's going to make for some tremendous what the NWA represents. And that's that over-the-top character work. Having these guys out there each and every week, working that mic's going to be over-the-top entertainment. And then you have the wild cards ready, you know, waiting in the weeds, those snakes ready to strike when you are ready to move on from Drake and Storm. And right now, we are getting a very crowded dance floor in the NWA. I mean, we got the partner, as you guys had mentioned, with Ring of Honor. They're signing a bunch of exclusives themselves. So there's not a whole lot of you know room to be or you know time to be passed around here on a weekly programming, only one hour. So it just makes sense. Let's move these guys into a tag team. Let's see what they got. Let's keep the entertainment rolling, keep the big over-the-top characters there. As we're talking about tag teams here, going back here to Dan Math real quick, give me Math and Cobb in the Crockett Cup, please. Hell yes. yes. Big Joe, I, I saw you got something you want to say there. One more thing about that with, that, with there being – when you have a, a large number of talent on a relatively short show, I think that this could be kind of beneficial because it's something that you know myself and uh, and you guys kind of get on this too. Is that a lot of times we see week to week too much of the same talent having matches all the time. I think that the nice little kind of side effect with this is you can really kind of mix things up and not always be seeing the same guys week to week to week to week to week, where we get the the Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns effect, right? One team I certainly don't need to see week to week is the Rock and Roll Express. I love the Rock and Roll Express. No offense to the Rock and Roll Express, but if I see them like once every six weeks, I'm completely fine with that. Uh, The only issue that I really had with this match, and I didn't even necessarily have it so much here, but we saw it so many times throughout the course of the weekend. After the match, we've got Beer Dummy and the Rock and Roll Express all hanging out in the ring together, giving everybody hugs and showing off for the fans. I am so over this crap. It's, it just seems like it's something that's infecting the entire world of professional wrestling, and I just I don't need it. Jugger, I think, you know, really, which to both of the points that you made there, I think they tie in. I think that was a way of the Rock and Roll Express saying, okay, you guys got us. Now you take this and run with it. It is time for us to step aside. We're talking about they cannot continue to rely on you know these nostalgia acts week in, week out. So I think this was kind of that passing. Hey, thanks you to, thanks to everybody. I mean, just not beer dummy, but it was everybody there in attendance. Thanks for the support. We've had an incredible run since we've come back, no matter what promotion we're working for. It, and I think that's what you got there. It, it was more of a, you know them taking a bow. 
and saying thank you. And now we're moving on. Uh, speaking of moving on, let's go to the next match uh, because I'm really excited to talk to you guys about this one. I honestly believe this is the best match I have seen since the relaunch of the NWA. I don't mean women's match, championship match. This was the best match I have seen inside of the NWA. And once again, the HTM rub continues as Thunder Rosa becomes your world's women's champion, defeating Allison Kay. Uh, Big Joe, I absolutely love this match. I have this match at four face slaps. That's how much I love this match. And I'm so happy that they have realized the error of their ways and they were going with Thunder Rosa as a baby face because that NWA crowd adores her. She's going to be one to, she's going to be hard to hang on as, hang on to as her stock kind of keeps uh, climbing. Um, she's going to be in high demand by all the major uh, promotions out there. I mean, every time, I mean, she just, she has, she has all those uh, things that you want in a talent, right? The, the ability, the look, the character, you name it. Yep, absolutely. Huckleberry, I know we uh, we saw Allison Kay up at StarCast. You and I both agree she is one of the best women's talents in the world. What did you think of this matchup? And am I overstating that this was the best match I have seen in the NWA since the relaunch? I think you're exactly right, Jarko. And right on the other point there, you know, I've got her in my top three. In the in the world, when it comes to women wrestling, Allison Kay is absolutely incredible in every aspect that you're looking for in professional wrestling. I, I think she, you know, she's got that look, she's got that that selling ability or that marketability. She's a tremendous in ring talent, great personality. She's she's got the whole deck. Going into this match, watching this thing, one of the things I had on my notes, and it and it was a great match here. That kind of got me about this NWA audience, and we're thinking, we're talking about things that maybe they need to focus on. How do you keep moving forward? Is it really surprises me in so many ways that this NWA audience isn't very similar to the AEW audience, where they play along with how these characters are being presented. And this was a perfect example of that you know that this crowd is has been firmly behind Thunder Rosa for weeks here, as she has been painted as the heel, the villain. You know, aligning herself with some just dastardly individuals, underhanded tactics left and right. Where Allison Kay has been, you know, she's a little hard-nosed, but she's a fighting champion. She's been out there defending, you know, for the most part, on her own. She's she's ready to represent this proud promotion as a grand champion. But as you're really sitting there watching this match, as I, you know, from the from the get-go, I'm questioning the fans. But then it becomes very clear that these guys were just cast in in the wrong roles. Where Thunder Rosa, with that character, how fun-loving she is and how wild, and she can pander to that audience, she's perfect in that baby role. Where Kay, she, she kind of has that sitting, that resting bitch face. Yep. <laughs> yeah. and, and she can play to that perfectly. So, I mean, now that we're going to get this kind of role reversal, now I'm really looking forward to this thing going forward here. And outside of just, just being a fantastic matchup between these two, this has been a great story. And I think now that they're going to turn this page, we got a new direction with it. This is something that you need to be very excited about here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought that Sienna, Allison Kay, whatever you want to call her, um, I thought the best part of this match was after the match when she's actually out of the ring and she's watching Thunder Rosa celebrate in the ring. She just turns around and gives her the dirtiest freaking look I think I've ever seen. Like, if looks could kill, 
Thunder Rosa would be dead and gone. She would actually be a sugar skull by now. Big Joe, what did you think of just the, the presentation of this matchup? Just in, in general, Rick really hit on something that that, that I really like. Uh, like I said, as critical as I was kind of at the beginning with the NWA, I love you know, like you had mentioned that the crowd is is, is right into it and, and reacting the proper way. It's something that I kind of harp on, especially when it comes to WWE, of the, the crowd reacting the wrong way to the tell, where you, we have the the heels being cheered and the and the the baby faces being booed in the NWA and, and some of these smaller promotions. That's one thing that I love. We're getting the proper reaction from our crowd that we should be. Again, that's the old school fan of me coming out. But I love when the fans play along and it, it things go the way that they should when it comes to that. Back to the TV title tournament, the semifinals. Trevor Murdoch defeats Dan Moff. I was very, very sad about that. And then we saw Ricky Starks defeat Tim Storm, which the NWA crowd was very, very unhappy about. My God, they love Mama Storm. It's absolutely ridiculous how over Mama Storm is, and I'm not sure she's ever been in the freaking arena. Huckleberry, what did you think of these two matchups? What do you think of the final being set up between Ricky Starks and Trevor Murdoch for the newly minted NWA TV championship? Well, as you know, let's talk about, you know, Storm gets that by here, so he's he's well-rested. He's in here against the upstart, the, the, fr- the fresh young face that they're looking to, to carry them here as this workhorse in Ricky Starks. How this thing laid out, you know, looking back on this thing, hindsight, I really wish that what they would have done in that other round is inserted Tim Storm into the Murdoch and question mark match. Made that a triple threat with someone advancing. In that case, whatever the direction here is with Tim Storm, I'm not really sure of this story, but him taking this pin, you could have had Murdoch get the win on Storm. Obviously, Murdoch didn't go on to win this thing, but they wanted to give him some kind of shine. They want to make sure that he is elevated to you know that level of some of these other individuals instead of just thought of as that enhancement talent that's getting rolled out there each and every week. So he had a great run here, just come up short. But if you would have made that into that triple threat, whatever the direction here is with old man Storm, if he can't get it done, even with the break here, you know he could have he could have eaten that pin, and he could have continued to protect the question mark. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you and you still and you still end up here in this same situation. Uh, where you just realign your bracket or whatever to flip some things around here. And, and then you could have had, at that point, had Starks and Math, and then give Murdoch a buy into the finals. So then you've got this big brute bully who's coming in fresh. As we were just talking about, you know, wrestling 101, you want to give the advantage to that, you know, that over-the-top heel, that monster taking on the young kid here. I think that would have been a better way to structure this, but inside itself, it's going to be interesting to see how they play this out with Storm because we get this, this continuing, this continuing saga with him. Is is it time to hang it up for Old Man Storm, where he continues to come up short here in his quest as the NWA is finding new greatness that they are this rebirth, this global recognition here, where Tim Storm was the one carrying it before all this happened. Did he lose it before the boom? That's the story they're going with. It's going to be interesting to continue to follow that thing. Uh, great to see, you know, math once again, two big hosses throwing it down. It's it's pro wrestling the way I like it. And again, Murdoch, I, I think it was just a, he's not going to get the ultimate shine here, but let's get him some kind of rub to elevate him so that when we run him out there each and every week, he's not kind of looked down upon. I, I think he's somebody inside of the NWA that that really has that that poor run and those who remember him from the WWE that's still stuck with him. 
I am not into Trevor Murdoch. I have never been into Trevor Murdoch. He just does absolutely nothing for me. I wish Dan Moff would have won this match and the finals would have been ROH's Dan Moff versus the NWA's Ricky Starks. That just made sense to me logically. Big Joe, where are you at with Trevor Murdoch? I'm kind of in the the same... I'm right there with you on that one. Murdoch has never really done anything for me. Um, It it was nice to see him back. I mean, it wasn't, uh, I didn't uh, mark out for him huge, but it was nice to see him kind of back doing some stuff. But I agree with you. That would have been the perfect setup for uh, for a semifinal there. One guy I did mark out for is Big Papa Pump. Holla, if you hear me. Oh, I love me some Scotty Steiner. He has been one of my favorites all the way back when he was wearing a Michigan Letterman's jacket. Yeah, that's how freaking old I am. Scott Steiner defeats Aaron Stevens via disqualification. Stevens still your NWA national champion. And Rick, this one's interesting. This is a story I can get into because the question mark comes in. That's what ends up getting Stevens disqualified. Big Papa Pump is pissed because, well, it's Scott Steiner. He's always pissed. He throws question mark into the Steiner recliner. Aaron Stevens grabs his belt and hightails it the fuck out of the arena. I am so on board with this. This is the best work that he has done since Damian Sandow. Huckleberry, what do you think of Aaron Stevens and Big Papa Pump, the big bad booty daddy? <laughs> you you want to talk about going back, old school Steiner fan, baby? Hey, I remember going back OVW back in the day, seeing Aaron Stevens there, Idol Stevens, what he was bringing to the table. In fact, he, he was like a sex machine back then. He was running around with Beth Phoenix and. Uh, <sighs> Sex appeal like no other. She played the vampire chick in WWE when they had the ECW thing going on. Uh, I but, dude, it, it was over the top. It was one of the best gimmicks that I remember. It was one of the reasons that I fell in love with independent wrestling. He, had, he was so masterful, so brilliant in his work at OVW. And I should have swore he was set for, for destined for greatness inside the WWE that didn't come to fruition. But, yeah, I mean, this what, he, what Aaron Stevens is accomplishing here in the NWA is, is again, brilliance. I mean, he has these crowds eating out of the palm of his hand. He is so great in his character work. You, you pair that up with the question mark who this audience absolutely loves. I mean, who doesn't, who can't get down with a little karate? I mean, these guys have got a tremendous act going on here. And then you just throw in the spectacle that is Scott Steiner. And this right here, this, this, is, how, this is how you effectively employ uh, comedy inside of professional wrestling. You know, Big Joe... Aaron Stevens is currently a third degree black belt in karate. Um, I think after his actions here, maybe the question mark should downgrade him to a second degree. Like maybe they just take one of the stripes off of the championship. What do you think? Oh, I mean, I love what Aaron Stevens is doing. Even when he was Damian Sandow in WWE, man, his stuff was gold. Even when he was briefly partnered up with the Miz, I thought that stuff was kind of hilarious. So no, no, not everybody was on board with that. When it was Scott Steiner with me, I, I just, I, I think back to those WCW days and the big one that stood out for me was, him and Disco Inferno, that thing that they had going, and him uh, destroying the duck and whatnot. That stuff was, oh, that stuff, that stuff was gold. And typically, I'm not a St- Scott Steiner guy, so that, that's uh, uh, just uh, every time I see him, I think back to that moment of him just destroying that plastic duck. You better be checking under your bed for Scott Steiner because he hears that you said something unkind about him. He will come up there and he will whip all of Canada's ass. Uh, um, yeah. But let's talk about the national treasure, Nick Aldis. 
defends the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship against Flip Gordon. Rick, this one really caught me off guard because I thought we were supposed to get Nick Aldis versus Marty Skrull here. Yeah, a little bit of a shakeup. I kind of missed in trans transition somewhere where they explained here. I know Marty was out giving some reasoning there. Uh, I didn't have my sound on the entire time for this. I had some other stuff going on. Uh, but yeah, but still, we, we get the the substitution. That flip came out here. Looked kind of good. Anytime in itself, it's going to be a little bit of a letdown. But again, you get that ring of honor uh, versus the NWA. Save, you know, let's sit on. Let's let's rest on this this Aldis Marty thing. Maybe, the, you know, they're waiting for a bigger stage. And that could be coming up. You know, we're getting some we're getting some stacked names, uh, some super looking forward to a stacked lineup at Supercard heading into WrestleMania. I I would agree. Save that thing. Yep, I I completely agree. Uh, Big Joe, I here's my thing with Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis is the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. He holds the ten pounds of gold. Sweet, sweet Charlotte. So how come he's a little bitch in every fucking wrestling match that I see him in and every goddamn time it's a roll up, it's some kind of a small package. It's just bullshit. Like every fucking match. I can't stand this guy. And I know he's a heel. I'm not supposed to stand him. But Jesus fucking Christ, man, can't you just like beat somebody? For, For me, what it all comes down to with this, the fact that he's listening this reaction out of you. Tells me mission accomplished for what he's doing right now. I don't know, man. I I, th- I just think he's a little bitch. Like, I don't think he's a heel. I don't want to see him get his ass kicked. I just think he's a little bitch. That's what he's going for. He's like a six foot eight, 275 pound little bitch. There you go. He's a six foot eight bitch. There you go. Six foot eight bitch. Hashtag six foot eight bitch. Uh, let's talk about your main event of the evening. Why this went on after the world's heavyweight championship. I will never understand Ricky Starks defeats Trevor Murdoch to become the NWA TV champion. Huckleberry, I think we all kind of knew that that's the way that they were going to go here. But I got to tell you, man, Ricky Starks, every time I see him, he's starting to get into that Sammy Guevara territory for me. Well, you know, closing with this match here, I mean, this was this was the point of the show. This is what we're building towards. I think, obviously, you know, maybe this even lended a little bit to why you substitute Flip in for Marty to make sure that this is the focal point. You want to close. You want to give this thing the moment, this shining light, the spotlight, the marquee to let everyone know, hey, the, t- the television title, it's it's reemerged. It has arrived on the scene and it's going to be you know, it's going to be given some significance and some importance. So you put it in this position here. Uh, but it, again, too, we, we become so accustomed in a modern age where we put so much emphasis on what closes a show. I mean, you can go back to WWF and, you know, the rock and wrestling, the, the glass golden era, obviously Hogan's your main event, but they would put him off in the middle of those shows when they know they had them hot crowds. And then you come back and you close out with some cool down matches. So maybe you're getting a little bit of that strategy when you're structuring these cards. I feel like it downgrades sweet, sweet Charlotte, at least just a little bit, having it not be in the main event. Big Joe, I see you nodding your head. I take it. You agree with me. Well, I've always been, you know, when it comes to arranging a wrestling card is where you start with your quote unquote, your weakest match. And you build to that crescendo, your main event, which in, in NWA's case should be the NWA world's heavyweight championship title match. Yep. I, I completely agree. Right? Makes sense to me. Congratulations. You guys, are like pet, 
you guys are like cup half empty, you know, just go with my main thing there. Maybe this was to elevate. Elevate a brand new championship over the most historically accurate championship in professional wrestling. It's not a brand new championship. They're reintroducing this thing. They're, they're reviving it. They're trying to bring back that lineage. They want you to know that there's an importance there. Valid. But as soon as Sweet Charlotte went on the line, I feel like that should have been the main event. I, I might have put uh, some, maybe some more high-profile talents in that main event instead of Ricky Starks and Trevor Murdoch. But Yeah, valid. Uh, let, let's go ahead. Let's shift to an NXT throwaway house show. I mean, worlds collide. Yeah. Big special on the WWE network that nobody gave a shit about because nobody gives a damn about brand supremacy. It doesn't matter if it's red versus blue or if it's UK versus NXT North America. Hell, we barely care about the United States and Canada rivalry because if you guys don't stop your shit, you're never going to become a state. Let's uh, let's go ahead. Let's start things off with the pre-show, Big Joe. Kaylee Ray defeats Mia Yim in nine minutes and 14 seconds. Joe, I need you to explain to me why do people like Kaylee Ray? Because I just don't see it. I did watch the pre-show. Oh, well, there you go. Huckleberry, what did you think? Uh, explain Kaylee Ray to me. Yeah, there's a little bit of a disconnect, it seems. It, it seems that uh, even inside of the NXT UK universe, they understand this, <laughs> that they still go forward with Tony Storm really as the face of that division. That's why she's getting the, the main spot. She's on the main show challenging Rhea Ripley. It really seems to be okay with, with Kaylee Ray they understand it. I think it's obvious out there for most of the fans, but they continue. Okay, but if, if we just keep that championship on her, she will remain relevant. I did before we jump into this main show, I want I, a little transition here between the NWA, Ring of Honor, and what we got with NXT. And I really started thinking about this Saturday when I was watching watching this Worlds Collide thing. And it made me start thinking about old school NWA. And now as we're talking out loud, maybe something going forward that the NWA could employ here. Remember like back in the day, like we all remember, you know, the great of like the great American bash and those, those big marquee events from, from the NWA days, the Crockett and all that. Those were actual tours. So you could spend the whole summer, every city, Baltimore, Cleveland, Lexington, wherever, they got a, a version of the Great American Bash. I was thinking about, you know, with the, the low attendance for live events, and I've regularly said this, like, okay, in the build to the Rumble, why don't every little town have an individual, like the, the Lexington 15-man Rumble, and run some different people out there and let them win in different little different towns? Why wasn't this Worlds Collide? Why wasn't this a touring event? You know, set up 12 to 15 cities, get these guys together, bring them together for a little tour. You could have packed houses all over it, whatever region you're running. And this would have been a great draw, sold a lot of live event tickets. You're getting this hype there on internet. And then you could have built up to like this one big blow off here to tie us into the NWA, going back to their old school mentality of having these tours. I'd love to see them get something along those lines where we see not simply coexisting shows, but run alongside Ring of Honor. Be like, okay, this thing is a three-hour event you're buying tickets for. The first hour and a half is going to be branded NWA, strictly for them, strictly their talents, their stories. And then, then stick around for, after intermission, we got an hour and a half of Ring of Honor going in their direction. I just, you know, thinking 
trying to get people through these gates that want to go watch professional wrestling live. I can get down with that. My problem with NXT versus NXT UK, and we especially saw this when it came to the Cruiserweight Championship match, people just don't know who these UK talents are. They don't really care about the UK talents. We're going to cheer all of the American talents, whether they're baby faces or heels. I It, it was just... This entire show was so disconnected. I mean, you look at this card. The card's ridiculous, but there's no heat anywhere on this show. Going into this thing, people were excited simply because this thing looked fantastic on paper. But but what this really was, this was Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. This was an over-the-top indie show where, okay, we're going out here. We've got this tremendous budget. Let's go get a bunch of talents here. We're just going to put together what we figure is the best dance partners, but we don't have a lot of build. If we're going to start breaking down this main card, I enjoyed it going because I took it for what it was. I wasn't overly invested here. But as some of these matches picked up, you know, when we got to to Tony Storm and Rhea Ripley, I thought they did do a good job of telling us a backstory where you could get a little invested. I, I thought the main event, the way these guys went out there and worked that thing and the body language, it got me involved. I was invested there. So, Jargo, what you're talking about here, the bigger issue and this is going to be something we're going to talk about when we get to the Rumble, especially the women's Rumble, the disconnect from these different audiences with inside the universe. So if you really wanted to introduce NXT UK, wouldn't that even be more of a reason to bring this town over here for two weeks and run a tour in these other in these cities so that when you do eventually get to this point, you've had a... And Rick just put himself on hold because that's what Rick does. Oh, and he's back. I don't know... No, I have no idea what the hell that was. I got every, I got it on a do not disturb. I don't know what the hell happened there. But I mean, wouldn't if you're on that tour, then you're introducing these things to different audiences. You're getting more of a buzz with them here in the states over the internet. Then it built up to this big blow up, this big, this big show the day before the rumble. You're going to have people more invested. They're going to recognize these talents because there was quite a few times you'd get an introduction if it be here on Worlds Collide or inside that women's rumble match. I mean, people are just sitting on their thumbs. They have no idea who the hell these people are. Who are you? Who are you? (laughs) The problem with the WWE philosophy when it comes to this crap is they're trying to push the brands and nobody gives a shit about the brands. We care about the wrestlers. We emotionally invest in the wrestlers. Not the fucking brand. I don't care about NXT UK. Hell, I don't even care about fucking NXT. I care about Adam Cole. I care about Finn Balor. I will buy a ticket to go see Adam Cole. I will buy a ticket to go see Finn Balor. I'm not going to buy a ticket to go see NXT versus NXT UK, which is why three quarters of the fucking arena was blacked out because nobody wanted to go to this shit. Big Joe, what do you think? Are are you cheering for individual talents or are you team North America? I've always, and not just when it comes to professional wrestling, even when it comes to professional sports, I've always been the type to cheer individual talents. And, and, you know, we we get to these people, even like uh, the Finn Balor match with uh, Dragunov. uh, You literally, I was waiting for the crowd to start cheering. Who are you? Who are you? Uh, Just these people come out to dead silence. Dead silence. Yep. Um, Huckleberry, I'm going to ask you a question here um, as soon as I can figure it out because I don't even know. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Tyson Fury for just a second, right? Tyson Fury's got a big fight coming up. We know that it's for a uh, boxing championship. 
What brand is it for? Well, I, I don't know. Well, it's a little difficult inside boxing because what do we got? We got like 900 heavyweight championships. We got I, 900 is, I, heavyweight championships in fucking wrestling. My God. Well, this is this is a bigger issue here. You know, it, well, real quick on the brand thing here. One thing that's always bothered me. When a talent is out there busting their ass, why aren't we giving them the chance? You know, why isn't it Cole, 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 or Joe, Joe, whoever it is there, you get NXT, NXT. And this goes back to the ECW thing where yeah. it, you get this focus in here where WWE and this really started when Stephanie, she comes out with her little think tank. She's a real progressive go-getter This ver on the verge of millennial dot process in business. She flips over everything once she gets her hands in it here. And it becomes about the brand above all, unless your name's McMahon, because they have to keep themselves relevant in case of a sale so that they're still, you know, worthwhile to keep on payroll or whatever afterwards. But look at this for all the stars through the performance center. It's cookie cutter. It's a clog after clog rinse, repeat these individuals. They have no personality. We have not created any stars. Once, once they labeled everyone a superstar, we essentially have no superstars. So we have very few that have elevated themselves like a Brock Lesnar that is a megastar. That's your bigger issue. Now, go into Tyson Fury here. Jar, you and I were talking about potentials for WrestleMania and who could be lining up against Brock Lesnar. You weren't in agreement with me on this thing. I'm still sticking by it. I think Vince is going to be very he's closely watching February 22nd is that Tyson Fury fight. If he is able to win that thing and capture that world boxing heavyweight championship, I, I, you got to believe that Vince is going to be foaming at the mount over an opportunity to run that out there for the PR machine, world champion, a boxing versus world champion or first universal champion, whatever, WWE champion. That is going to be huge on Marquis. The day after we recorded that, I'm sitting around watching television, flipping around, looking for something in the afternoon. And what's Fox running? An hour-long special on this Tyson Fury fight. Yep. And, and they go in, they go into detail on this thing. They're putting him over. The hype machine is in place. So just outside of Vince McMahon and old Blue Chew coming into effect for him here over Brock and Fury, the network's going to be behind this thing. I think there's going to be a lot to play. What comes out of that match? I think there's there's tremendous value in it. If he's able to win that thing, now Tyson Fury loses that match or goes out there and gets embarrassed, absolutely none. All then you kind of revert. All 30 people that watch boxing will be greatly offended that I don't give a fuck about Tyson Fury. I don't give a fuck about boxing at this point. The only boxing I care about is if you put Floyd Mayweather in a goddamn ring against Conor McGregor. That's the only boxing I care about. When you go for a crossover, and as I told you last week, that was, we don't really exactly need everyone. We don't need this this huge following, this continuance that already are established behind Tyson Fury and boxing. At this point, I'd rather have the PR machine be able to create create the mystique behind this thing. But it is that imagery that you can say, one, coming over, it's tradition of professional wrestling to put it up there on a marquee boxer versus wrestler Who's the best here? I mean, that is old school. And it's yeah. not like this is it's not like you're selling all of WrestleMania on this thing. This is just one of those marquees that, yes, you're going to get the ESPNs, the Fox Sports, all of those crossing over here. And especially if Fox, the network themselves, has something invested in this thing, they're going to have a hand in play and dictate where this thing goes. 
I don't. I think it's a win. I think you could market the hell out of this thing. They both look like legitimate fighters. You're talking about the 30 people. Well, there's 29 more that know who the hell Tyson Fury is. That's going to look and see that championship overlooking and seeing Drew McIntyre. And I'm not saying there's a knock at McIntyre. He's a fucking beast. They need to strap this thing to him. Let him run with this thing. There's one problem with your theory. The problem with your theory is if Tyson Fury is coming back and it's going to be set up on Fox, he's going to have to face off with the fiend because Brock Lesnar is on fucking raw. Big Joe, what do you got to say about Tyson Fury? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because those contracts are so fucking stiff. You can't move anybody from a brand to brand in your own company. For me, when it comes to to this boxing thing, I, I think that right now they have the same problem that we have in professional wrestling. We don't have very many big megastars in boxing. When I legitimately, when I saw Tyson Fury, I, I had this like, who are you? I have no idea. I mean, not that I follow boxing that closely, but I mean, I would be more inclined to, uh, if you're looking for that big crossover appeal right now, I mean, for me, it's a no brainer. You get Conor McGregor, uh, over and you set up some kind of program. I don't know with maybe like Adam Cole or something like that. I could get on board for something like that. He has that, that recognition Tyson Fury. I mean, you talk to most people that are into sports. I guarantee not many people are going to know who he is. Show me a show me a matchup that's been good between a boxer and a pro wrestler. It doesn't matter if it's a Noki versus Ali. It doesn't matter if it's Big Show versus Floyd. They all turn out to be complete bullshit. You draw a hell of a lot more money bringing in old ass Mike Tyson versus Brock Lesnar than you will against Tyson fucking Fury. Two points here with you guys. You're you're fucking reaching out of nowhere. They don't have a contract set up already with Conor McGregor. They don't have anything with Mike Tyson. You've got Tyson Fury under fucking contract. He's obligated to work a few dates for you. And it, it this isn't going to be a freaking Meltzer seven-star classic. You're not looking for that. This is a spectacle. This is It'll an attraction match. Classic. There's no spectacle to be had. Put it on as the last match of WrestleMania just so I don't have to fucking watch it. It Let's- doesn't go last. It goes... You're missing a big point. You want everything to be this fucking seven-star over the top technical fucking show. It's case. the it WWE fucking championship. If you're not going to headline with your main fucking title, then what in the fuck are we doing? You think Okada's going to fucking open Wrestle Kingdom? Get the fuck out of here. Or, you know, again, you're comparing apples and oranges. We're not looking I'm at comparing champions. Kazushka Okada, Brock fucking Lesnar. You know what? That'll it, it sell a close. hell of a lot more tickets than Tyson fucking Fury. It didn't close last year's WrestleMania. It didn't close the year before that. I can't tell you the last time a WWE championship closed WrestleMania. Well, that's because it was the mid-card championship of the fucking universe there forever. Jesus fuck. Let's talk about the first universal champion, Finn Balor. He defeats that little fucking Russian bitch, Ilja Dragunov, in 13 minutes and 50 seconds. (laughs) You want to talk about somebody who had no idea who in the fuck they were? Everybody in Houston never heard of fucking Ilja Dragunov, but they find out, oh, he's from Russia. He's coming to hack our elections. He's here on Putin's accord. This is all fucking bullshit. Who cares about Finn Balor versus fucking Dragunov unless you live in the fucking UK? Oh, yeah, the UK doesn't even fucking care because they cheered the Undisputed Era over fucking Imperium. Big Joe, over to you. I, I I don't know what else to say about that you haven't already said. Like literally coming out to, like I said, zero reaction from the, the relatively small audience there of people just like, who the fuck is this guy? 
I think I may even heard a couple of people saying that. Who are you? We don't know if you're going to well, just that there is no setup, no, no, nothing to this. There's no substance to it whatsoever. And like even his entrance, like trying to get people kind of going just and just nobody buying it whatsoever. Well, it doesn't help that, you know, my six year old has, has more weight to him than fucking Dragonov. Huckleberry, what did you think of uh, Finn Balor and it'll just Dragonov? At the beginning of the show, you bring it out here, you get in WWE fashion, you know, they, they have that roller coaster card structure. They want to get those highs here. This this smaller crowd, I even made made the comment over in the live discussion on Facebook and Hami Media Discussion Group. It, it, it seemed like a good vibe. I mean, it was a good energy amongst those that were in the arena. They were high here for Finn Balor. And then you get dragged off coming out. And it was just like you could hear a pin drop in that fucking place. Yeah, it was a fart in church. And yet more people in Houston knew who fucking Dragonov was than Tyson Fury. Yeah. No. no. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Facts. Uh, Jordan Devlin defeats Angel Garza, Travis Banks, and Swerve. He's still strange Strickland to me to become the NXT Cruiserweight Champion 12 minutes and four seconds. I love this because we don't need three fucking singles titles in NXT North America. They can have this worthless fucking belt that nobody gives a shit about. I mean, the Cruiserweight Championship. My only question here, Joe, how is this going to work with 205 Live and NXT UK? We have this issue of just too many. This all comes down to just we have too many championships. Things are just totally disjointed. And that, that uh, is two five live even a thing anymore. It really isn't, right? Um, I think it's still on the network after SmackDown, isn't it? I can't remember the last time that I've watched two five live. It's been a long time. Uh, mine was on the second of never. Yeah. And and again, great match. You know, for us inside of the bubble. But I mean, the the, the casual person watching this match are they are they getting much out of it? No, and you know what they got less out of? Jordan Devlin's promo after the match. He's standing on there, and he's like, I told you, I told you. And the people in Houston are like, who the fuck is this guy? He looks like Finn Balor. Rick, what, what do you make of this whole Jordan Devlin thing? Well, I do want to put you over here, Jocker. You called this thing during the match, hoping that Devlin would take this thing just so he could take the title with him to NXT UK. I, I think that's a great move. That we didn't need this thing over in NXT. Now, how this plays into 205, I think that show can exist. I mean, it essentially has become a main event, a superstars. So it's you know, it's your filling time there. I don't think they even need a championship on that thing. You just use it to showcase some of these other talents and then occasionally bring the champion for a defense. It's not like they're really built. It's not, it's not a sense in what it was where it was trying to be its own brand. Now it's just, hey, we've got these people under contract. Let's highlight the style. It's something a little different. And it's easy programming to throw on the network there. Yeah, afterwards, I mean, you just felt sorry for, for for the poor kid, for Devlin. You know, up there trying to get this, trying to rally the, the audience, get the troops behind him to build this thing up here, uh, which should be a great defining moment, his first championship inside the WWE Universe. And it's just, it falls on deaf ears. Yeah, nobody cared. Uh, here's the match that people actually did care about. DIY versus Mustache Mountain. And, you know, this match didn't really disappoint. It goes 22 minutes and 54 seconds. And then the match ended. And guess what? Let's all fucking hug. Joe, I 
hated this. I mean, like, I can I can do with the house show spots. I can do with absolutely no build for two of the greatest tag teams ever under the NXT umbrella. But now let's all sit around and fucking hug. What the hell, man? I'm going to look at this from, like, the casual fan perspective that we're seeing. You know, ideally in a wrestling match, you, know, you have your good guys and you have your villains. And, you know, they'll show, like, a little package and stuff before you get it. Okay, we get it. This team doesn't like this team. They have a, they have a good match. And then at the end, they hug. Like, for just for the casual fan, they got to be watching this going, what the fuck is this about? These guys just hated each other. They had a wrestling match, and now now they're they're hugging each other. It, it just it, just a, the casual fan perspective, it doesn't make sense. Okay. How many casual fans do you think were watching this show? That we don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, this show is no, not marketed no, to all, casual fans. Yeah, they were all watching the Tyson Fury fucking special on Fox. You obviously don't look at FS1 ratings because no. it wasn't on Fox. It was on FS1. FS1. Oh, uh, 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 it was on Fox. On what? Like a Saturday afternoon at fucking two o'clock when there's like a, a fucking rain out at the NASCAR game. <laughs> Fuck out of here with that uh, shit. Three o'clock, you giant asshole. Oh, that's right. I forgot to adjust for your, your fucking stupid ass East Coast time. Uh, uh, it's called real time. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, that's what I agree with Rick on. Uh, real time. Huckleberry, what did you think of DIY versus Mustache Mountain? It, what really gets me here, going into show, so many people were excited. And this was really around this matchup here. And to those individuals, I just want to I want to plead to you here. I don't want to yell. I don't want to get you know obnoxious. I don't want to put jargo. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, shank your 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 gimmick there, Jargo. So I, I want to plead to these individuals. Wait, Please you're stop. shank my gimmick. Did you just turn into Big Ray Hernandez? <laughs> hey. Yes, Project Heat, baby. Project Heat. Uh, RBB's Dildo Emporium opening now <laughs> in Ohio. Come on in and have a seat. <laughs> DIY versus Mustache Mountain. Go no, ahead. so I, I want to, to plead to these individuals. Stop praising this sort of bullshit. This is why we can't have nice things that you simply were, were going to, you're pre-jizzing over just the announcement, the last minute announcement that we're getting hashtag DIY versus Mustache Mountain. I mean, watching this match, I'm sitting back and I'm just, I can't help. I, I can't get invested because I can't help to think what could have been here. With even a half-ass attempt at storytelling, to use this, this could have been the catalyst to launch this entire Worlds Collide event, this whole program. You could have started right here. This could have been that foundation that would have got people excited. This is where you start coming back and forth between these two different brands, building towards this show. But no, uh, we'll just run it out there. People are going to love it anyway. It's going to be a great spectacle in the ring. That's not what professional wrestling should be about. It should be about the build, the story, the characters, getting you invested and involved. Not going out there and just freaking two-stroking it and getting off. That's what this match, that's what this represented here. I couldn't get into this thing. It was a fine match. But it's not anywhere near what it could have been. I would have loved to have seen it. And what really throws it off here at the end is this curtain call of sorts, you know, the handshake, the hug. Mustache Mountain, they need something. They need some energy. They need to re-spark a fire in them. Man, I was sitting there. That was the only time that I really started paying attention here was like, okay, now bust these sons of bitches in the mouth, mustache mountain. Show some energy. Show some hunger. Show something that you can take back to the UK, that program you just lost again. You just got embarrassed. These guys never seem to show up big in any matches when they're taking on you know, the NXT brand or anything outside of that. 
show us some fire that you can take back to the UK to spark that brand. Didn't get that there. Now I will say that was, this is where this was the last down point here on this show. I really enjoyed the last two matches. You know, you say show a little bit of hunger. Um, I I'm pretty sure that Trent seven is on the RBV fitness. <laughs> I mean, he gets bigger every freaking time I see him. My issue with this match, and really this entire card, styles make fights. And there was so much of the show that was like looking in a mirror. DIY and Mustache Mountain are basically the same tag team. And so this match just felt clunky to me. Big Joe, what did you think? Uh, I agree with you 100%. And kind of rewinding back briefly, I think would have made this work too. Uh, the idea that Rick was kind of pitching there, almost kind of like this grassroots kind of uh, tour before this to kind of build up these storylines and build up these rivalries, then it could have actually meant something. Now, you mentioned you had some of these people going up against each other, almost kind of mirror images of each other, but we could have been more invested if they would have kind of really built on this. And you could have toured uh, all, all through the U.S. and really kind of built this up, and it could have been something really cool. Well, you know, Huckleberry, you mentioned that this was the pre-jizz match. Well, you got the full-on bust a nut in the next match as Rhea Ripley takes on Tony Storm and her magnificent ass, since yeah. that's the only thing that anybody wanted to talk about in the fucking thread. Nobody was talking about the match. Nobody cared about the match. All they cared about was looking at Tony Storm's ass for 10 minutes and 7 seconds until Rhea Ripley puts her down to retain the NXT Women's championship uh huckleberry i don't care which way you want to take this if you want to talk about the match if you want to talk about all this stupid bullshit of them getting rid of women's championship um i i still firmly believe the only reason that they're getting rid of the term women's championship is so pete dunn can hold both the nxt and the nxt women's championship at the same time because i think pete dunn and rhea ripley are the same person uh, I, I just want to echo a sentiment and going back to the Friday locker room with Ben Hameen and Stevie Richards. And I think, you know, big Stevie cool. He said it perfectly. Why, why is there such a need to balance everything and have this even playing field? You know, and he was really going at Becky who brought it up on, was it backstage where she kind of initiated backstage, this thing? the bump. One of those stupid fucking shows. I don't want. Yeah. Something along there. But as, as Stevie was saying, why does it have to be a negative? Why is the is the is the cup half empty? Why don't you embrace this? Why don't you say, yes, we are proud. We are women. I want to represent this. We don't need this freaking equality. I mean, who are you pretending? Because they're still saying they're still identifying these things as divisions on both of uh, both of these, any of these brands. The title still says women's champion on it. Well, her, I don't think it does in NXT. They removed that, correct? No, they just oh, yeah. removed it from the graphic. They didn't change the belt. Oh, okay, I thought maybe they pulled it off the belt. Well, they were using it on the graphic at the Rumble anyway. They had it there for Becky's match. It said the women's, the Raw Women's Championship. They haven't made that move yet. But to me, and I agree with Stevie there. Societal issues. This is so just below the radar for me. I don't even. I didn't even really think about it that much. I don't care. And you're talking about again. People, what are they talking about in the live discussion on this thing? They just want to talk about Tony's ass. I enjoyed this match. I, I, and I wanted to give props here to the WWE, to the commentary team. 
I thought they told a great story. You want something to get invested in inside this world's collide? They told you about the history between these two, the year-long battle that Tony Storm has had her number, Rhea Ripley's number, twice. But now this is a new Rhea Ripley. She has had the hottest year, arguably, in women's wrestling. The rise of Ripley has been incredible. She has been on a tear. You know, people are recognizing her. We're talking, arguing back and forth about people that recognize individuals. She arrived in 2019. People took notice of Rhea Ripley. They're talking about her as the future of women's wrestling inside the WWE universe. They told that story here. I thought they went out there, had a, I don't want to say tremendous. I thought it was a solid bout. It wasn't their, their best outing together. It wasn't their worst. It, it, it told a great story. It served a purpose. I enjoyed this thing. I'm really losing faith in Tony Storm. And I'm losing it very, very quickly. It seems like every match that I have seen her in for the last like eight, nine months, it's like she's going backwards. It's like she's regressing to me. And I'm not necessarily sure if it's her work in the ring or her just absolute lack of character at this point. Like, oh, here's Tony Storm with a great ass. Woo! It, it, it feels so disconnected to me. Big Joe, what did you think of Rhea Ripley versus Tony Storm? First of all, Tony Storm's ass, fantastic. Uh, well, uh, just <laughs> you cannot ignore it. But uh, well, back on the the women's uh, name in the championship, for me, it, it's, it's it's strange because we've been really pushing this women's revolution and all this stuff, and all these first, you know, first Hell in a Cell, hardcore matches, all this kind of stuff. Now getting rid of the the, the women's part of this championship, it almost feels like this whole thing. It's like we're taking a step backwards with this. We're so proud of this women's everything, and then now it's like, it, 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 why are they taking this away? Well, you know, my favorite theory that I have heard over the course of the last week, and this is just fucking hilarious to me, is that every Tuesday night, Vince McMahon sits down and he puts on Access TV because he just can't fucking wait to see what Impact Wrestling is doing, and he's stealing all of his good ideas from Impact, even though only like 100,000 people watch it, which is still 999,960 more people than know who the fuck Tyson Fury is. Yeah. Yeah. You know what happened? You know what happened? It's not Vince going out of his way to to watch these other wrestling programs. He's got some stooges. So you got random, random WWE employee come in. Uh, Mr. McMahon, uh, Impact Wrestling put their, their championship on a Tessa Blanchard. God damn, pal, knock before you come in here. Now, now what's this? Blanchard. Is that that old cocksucker that worked here in the 80s? Uh, uh, <laughs> Didn't no, I sir, fire the- him? Uh, no, sir. That that's his daughter, Tessa. Uh, she works for Impact Wrestling. You mean TNA? God damn, mm. god damn, pal! What the fuck's at Impact Wrestling? She has a really good Patreon going on too. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, she's uh, all well, kinds they, of full they, of shit. Just listen to her Patreon. They, they they put the belt on a woman, and now uh, some of our ladies think that that we should just remove remove the term women from mm. from all of our our titles and our programming and our marketing. Goddamn, pal. How, how do we know which one in the who in the locker room to fuck? Goddamn, pal. Book it. Becky Lynch versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. It'll be huge money. Huge. If, if you work for if you work for WWE, you identify as a superstar. Yep. Yep. Just just awful. Uh, hey, that was that was good too, though. Stevie was talking about that. He's like, you know what? Go through with it. Uh, yeah. Have Becky. She wants to be the man. She's she's big tough nuts. Okay, let her go out there and wrestle Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania and take an F five. The gender neutral title. 
Kofi lasted eight seconds. I give Becky four. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, Imperium defeats the Undisputed Era in 29 minutes and 51 seconds, even though they were basically down three to four for most of this match because Alexander Wolf. Uh, he he kind of screwed up and got himself knocked a little bit stupid. It sounds like Alexander Wolf is going to be okay, but he was not in most of this match. And at one point, I thought Roderick Strong was dead. Yeah, I, I even saw like basically every member of the Undisputed Era get down off of the ring apron and go over and check on Roddy to be like, are you okay? <laughs> and Roddy was somehow okay even after getting completely dumped on his head i thought this match was really good for about 15 minutes the only problem was the match went for 29 minutes and 51 seconds big joe what did you think of walter and imperium taking down the undisputed era even though imperium can't even get cheered in their own country over adam cole baby it's a weird dynamic there, but just just on Walter. I mean, for me, he's the big standout for this. I mean, just again, one of these big guys that just that does stuff that just looks unnatural for a, a dude his size, and just it's uh, he has that intimidating presence. Does Walter work on the red or blue? Because I mean, I can't see Walter going out there and doing what Walter does two hundred and fifty five days a year. Like the guy realizes it's a fucking work, right? It's it's tough to match up with them with uh, the majority of the quote unquote superstars. Randy Orton is as big as fucking Walter. Mm-hmm. Like he's only big in NXT. Yeah. What did you think of the matchup? Did you like the match? Were you happy with the match? It was good. Uh, again, the, the um, going a little too far with the stuff, and this is another reason why I'm not a big fan of too much punching and kicking in wrestling matches is we run into this Alexander Wolf situation, right? Getting legitimately knocked the fuck out. Well, boy, if you don't like punching and kicking, I bet you you'd love the shit out of Roman Reigns versus Baron Corbin the next night at the Rumble. Huckleberry, we'll get to that. We'll get to- <laughs> what did you think of Imperium versus the Undisputed Era? I'd say, you know, overall, I enjoyed this. I thought it was a positive experience. But, Jarko, I'm with you 100%. I, I, would have, I wouldn't have let this thing definitely go over 20 minutes. So I'm cutting 9 to 10 minutes out of this thing. I think it would be just as effective. But, you know, that seems to be a reoccurring story with any match that involves Adam Cole. And you've got so much going on. I mean, this thing is a train wreck. They're going left and right, throwing, throwing everything they can at one another. But to speak to... You know, what Joe was talking about, Walter being a standout here inside of this match. I think it's really incredible what we see performance-wise from the big man when the passion seems to be there. I mean, he actually even did an interview here not so long ago where he talked about where he, he just didn't really feel the vibe at Survivor Series. Well, understandably, because they told you you're going to go out there and be embarrassed you know, everyone's talking about measuring you up against these giants, these big guns inside of WWE. You're in there in a, what was it, a 15-man Survivor Series <laughs> triangle cluster fuck. Yeah. Hey, understandably, it's going to be hard to get excited. Yeah, we're just going to send you out there. We went there and everyone's heard about you. Hopefully, people heard about you. We're going to run you out there for the WWE Universe. And then he didn't even last three minutes, I, I don't believe, inside that match. So It lasted almost as long as us getting our independence from the UK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you get, you, you see him in this different setting here where he obviously cares, but he is a true student of it. He, he has a great passion for the history of professional wrestling. Does that work on a larger stage? 
I'm not so certain. As you said, Jarga, you put him in there, especially when we seen in the Rumble where he did go toe-to-toe with Braun. I mean, he's up, he's nipple high to Braun. He's as tall as Randy Orton. You think Randy Orton's going to let him go out there and slap the shit out of his chest 255 days a year? Nuh-uh. Oh, not happening, not. bro. Ab- absolutely not. But why are we still sitting here where that is the ultimate measuring stick? You know, maybe he has a ceiling that keeps him under the NXT umbrella. That's okay. As they're going to continue to grow these brands, they're going to need long-lasting superstars that are going to, you know, be right, mainstay staples inside of those brands. Maybe that's his position. That's where he fits in. And then occasionally, because they're going to exist, they're not going anywhere. We do have these little crossover moments where we can start testing those waters to see if there is any legitimate chance of him making that step over where he is in there with those bigger type frames. He could be one of these guys that that legitimately just when he could be one of these guys where if he's going to go up to the main roster, maybe they... If he's not going to get pushed all the way to the top, he'll just be like, fuck it, I'll just stay here in NXT and I'm just sla- keep slapping the shit out of people. Yep. He could be one of those types where uh, if he's not going to get pushed all the way to the top, screw it. So at the end of the day, the battle for brand supremacy, NXT North America versus NXT UK, and this this huge clash between brands ends up three to three. Nobody wins, nobody loses, and nobody gets over. And that was the problem. With worlds collide, you know, I thought was was right. weird in there too. They didn't even mention any of that. Yeah, because it, like Survivor Series, they were all over that. You know, keeping the scoreboard updated, and let you know which brand, you know, how how they could pull this thing off. That's because it was, what was happening here. I mean, you got Rhea Ripley representing NXT North America. You've got Finn Balor representing NXT North America. It's like we got a bunch of British guys representing NXT North America. So it just feels disconnected when nobody knows what side anybody's on. It's just stupid. Whole I agree. Finn Balor's British. No, he's Irish for fuck's sake. Well, well you, don't want it. You, you said it. Is Ireland not in the UK at this point? It is. Okay. Well, he's not. Well, you said British. You said, yeah, technically, he's, yeah, technically. Yeah, they all look the same. Uh, let's hey, talk about the, fast, the Royal Rumble. The stats guy. Let's talk about the Royal Rumble. Uh, let, let, let's start things off with the pre-show. A two fucking hour pre-show that has 27 minutes worth of wrestling on it. And they just run the same video package over and over like a half a dozen times. Uh, Sheamus defeats Shorty G in 13 minutes. Nobody cared. And then we had Andrade defeating Cocksucker Carrillo to retain the U.S. championship in 14 minutes and 20 seconds. And nobody cared about that one either. Huckleberry, I know you're all about the pre-shows. This might be the worst pre-show in the history of WWE pre-shows. You see, I, I love this pre-show. Really? I was, I thought, yeah, I thought it was absolutely really? fantastic. Yes, absolutely fantastic. Because you know what it did? It proved Nothing? a point to me. No, it, it proved a point to me. That the marks will watch this shit no matter what's on it? No, that I don't have to pay one bit of attention to programming between these events at all. I can just tune in, get everything I need from these packages that actually look half-assed, when I know they're just full of shit because I actually watch the programming. Now I don't have to do any of that. So now I can get an entire month's worth of WWE in in five hours. 
Big Joe, you didn't watch the half-hour pre-show for Worlds Collide, so I'm guessing you didn't watch this bullshit either. Nope. I, I used the time effectively to have dinner uh, and then to, to kind of get to the snacks and stuff ready for the show. I did not watch the pre-show. I, I typically don't for these things because I don't like seeing, you had mentioned it, these, these promo packages over and over again. Because I know I'm going to see them during the show as well. So it's like, why... Why bother? I, the only thing that I enjoyed about this pre-show was seeing the hashtag CGI missed like four different freaking times, which is how many times they ran that stupid video package for Asuka and Becky, which I'm sure we'll talk about again later. Uh, See, we, we waste we waste hours every week where we could be talking about other things in professional wrestling, talking about Raw and the blue brand, mm-hmm. SmackDown. When's the last we time we talked about that- SmackDown? Come on. <laughs> True. I mean, we have structured everything around it so we can try to avoid yeah, that. Yeah, recording when SmackDown's on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I can't stream it while I'm watching. Here, and Here's the beautiful part of this now. These packages are well done. It actually looks like the show is half-ass exciting when you're just watching the packages. And then you so you don't the even have to tune in. Yeah, then you don't even have to tune in. Oh, the pre-show might be the best part of the Royal Rumble. You know, it, it seems like it was actually a two-and-a-half-hour pre-show because they kick things off with Roman Reigns versus mm. King Fuckface, yes. Falls Count Anywhere, and this match goes for 23 fucking minutes, bell to bell. That's not including anything that happened after the match. That's not including the entrances. That's not including the five-minute video package that they ran off the top of the goddamn show after we just watched two fucking hours of video packages. I I don't understand their logic on some of this stuff. Uh, This match was there. Uh, Roman Reigns got booed out of Houston. That made me happy. We're back to that bullshit. Big Joe, what did you think of Roman Reigns versus Baron Corbin? Because I know how much you love walking brawls. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I thought that they did a decent job with with this match, actually. All right, that's enough out of you, Canada. But but I will say that I, I thought the, the there was some comedy in this uh, at least for for myself. Well, what I thought was was great is when they started working themselves over towards where that big line of porta potties were, and Michael Cole referring to them as that series of structures, and then <laughs> that's the part that I got a kick out of that. And um, doing the porta potty spot, I thought that that was kind of cool. But uh, you know, th- this could have been a lot worse than than uh, than what it ended up being. I thought that they did okay on this match. I'll rip on Mitchell Cole again a little bit later. Huckleberry, what did you think of uh, Roman Reigns versus King Fuckface? Well, this match certainly made me miss the pre-show. I I was longing for the the entertainment factor that I had there. I could get, you know, this, they have built this program up. It has been a focal point on the blue brand or so I hear that this has been something of importance to them inside of their creative. That's a good or a bad Going 23 minutes here with the other shenanigans, I'll give you, I'll forgive you. I'll give you a pass if this was the blow off. But my biggest fear, my biggest concern is that this thing is going to continue on here. Now, not necessarily that we're going to see this thing play out all the way to WrestleMania, but we still got to get through a blood money. We've got to get through a chamber. And when I look at the structure within SmackDown, I'm looking at how this roster is lined up, these rankings, if you will. Where are these two going to go? That's what I'm, this is what I'm, I'm absolutely terrified of that this thing is going to at least continue on through the elimination chamber. This will continue on as long as Baron Corbin is the only member of the roster that Roman Reigns will be cheered against. 
That's why it's been going on for so freaking long. And it's just awful. It's just, it's, it's so bad. Well, I think, I think now you're getting to the point though. Yeah. That was the safety net. It was okay. At least we can continue to protect Roman Reigns, even after, you know, the, the, what the concern over the cancer issue or the support there begins to fade. We know that we can rely on Baron Corbin. He is so despised take that as a positive or in a negative manner, but he is so despised by the WWE universe that they will continue to cheer Roman. But now you have strapped this fucking rock to him, this fuck face rock that's going to pull Roman down with him. Now they're going to turn on both of them. Yep. Either that or they're going to start cheering Baron Corbin. said the only structure here was the one that Baron Corbin ended up inside of. Just awful. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's talk about the women's Royal Rumble match. Huckleberry, it is time for Charlotte's Rumble celebration, which means it's time for me to go take a piss. Have at it, Huckleberry. Well, as we talked about at the top of this show, while we're getting back around to what we're really here for, and I know I, I want to apologize to everybody out there who hit the budget through Jargo and all of his just asinine antics building up to this point. <laughs> this thing should have been Joe, this thing should have just been a two-hour showcase of the precious one, Shar Shar, and this incredible achievement here. Joe, why he's out. Let's really break this thing down. You know, this is what it's about. It's about the Royal Rumble matches. These are the marquee events. This is what we're here for. Now here over the last, you know, the last three years, we're getting two of these things. They become a little pressing. And I thought it was a little disappointing going into this year's women's rumble match with the lack of just true build. We really had seven women. Seven superstars announced, you know, their intent to win this thing going in. And then we just end up, we get maybe, what, a handful, five or six, you know, return entrants. But then they just fill this thing out with, it just, it, it becomes NXT. Again, we're asking NXT to essentially carry three shows here. I mean, they had Worlds Collide the night before. We're asking them for to go out there and perform again here at the Rumble. They're still building their own, uh, the Portland takeover that's coming up here. Yeah. There's so much going on, so much stress going on to them there. But before we get to maybe the highlights and get down to the home stretch, how this thing ended here. Overall, Joe, how did you feel about how this thing was structured with all of these NXT entries? I will say just with the um, with this relatively small number of people that were actually announced and we knew where we were going to be in it. I did kind of like the element of the surprise a little bit, so not knowing kind of who was going to be coming out, I thought was was pretty good. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's again we don't you would like that that investment to, of knowing who, right? So it's kind of riding that fine line here, and it just that there were some there's a lot. Of, I'm really kind of fifty fifty on this. I thought there was a lot of good, but there was a lot of questionable stuff here too. Um, you know, namely like people like Kelly Kelly and stuff getting involved. This just did absolutely nothing for me. Like, well, you know, at, at where were Sasha Banks? That, to me, that's that's the big one that stood out. Oh, we'll I mean, talk about Sasha here. We'll, we'll talk about Sasha here in just a couple of minutes. Yeah. I think the way they structured this thing, at least with you know with the the Mighty Mollies and the Kelly Kelly, at least at least they're getting a reaction here. Mm-hmm. A lot of these poor NXT girls come out here too. That really uh, Dakota Kai and Keegan Knox, who have a hot program going on. They have something that people could get behind. They're two tremendous talents here, but we get crickets as soon as they come in. Uh, Bianca coming out at number two. 
Yeah. You know, and it seemed like that entrance just took forever. And the people are just sitting on their thumbs. They don't really understand what the act's about, who she is. If you, it's not like they just suddenly had this fall in their lap, like half the field just can't make it. There's travel issues or something like this. You had seven women announced for this match. You knew in the back of your mind, you had to rely on NXT. And again, I understand you're putting a lot of stress on that brand, trying to sell three shows, but you didn't do any justice towards these towns by not giving any indication that they were going to be involved here, that people could have been excited for this thing, that you could have started cross-promoting, that these NXT women are going to be involved. That took away from the overall fan experience, which takes away from your viewing experience. But then ultimately, I think that that pretty much saved this damn thing. And it speaks to how the the poor state of the red and blue divisions that they couldn't carry something like this. I mean, their stars inside of this absolutely piss poor outside of a, you know, a, a Charlotte wrestling were absolutely piss poor. The NXT women carried this thing, but it's no surprise because just two weeks ago, they, 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 they killed it with a battle Royal of their own. Before we fully kind of break it down, one that I have to give a definite shout out to is Beth Phoenix. Uh, there was this one point in the match where it was with uh, Bianca Belair. Uh, she kind of had her up on the turnbuckle and kind of tried to like hit her with an elbow or something. Again, and she, she cracked her, the back of her head off of that post. I mean, you could hear it, and I, and I definitely felt it. And just props to her for hanging in there and continuing with the match. I mean, uh, that, that that's uh that's some toughness there. But the, the biggest issue with that is she has to continue on. I know it, yeah. Jar, I, th- I think you're back with us here. Yep. But you made the comment over on Facebook and Hami Media Discussion. And he's on hold again. And he's back. For the love of God, get Beth out of there. Now we know why she had to sit there and, and work through yeah. the, on her head. Just so they could run out there and do a lame-ass comedy spot at 29. I wasn't totally opposed to Santina coming into this thing. But why did you have to use that in that 29 spot to take all that momentum away from the close of this match for a silly-ass, pathetic, do-no-business comedy spot? Yeah, you could have done that earlier and then got her out of there sooner, I think. Santina was not supposed to be in this match. Okay. Number 29 was supposed to be Sasha Banks. Um, evidently the report going around from, uh, Ryan Satin, who of course, I believe that everything that he says is a work because he's under WWE contract at this point or all, but he's under Fox contract, whatever the fuck you want to say. Um, Sasha Banks threw a fit backstage because she was supposed to get eliminated by Charlotte. Uh, so much so that she actually went storming into Vince's office, called him a cracker. And kicked in his bathroom door while he was sitting there taking a shit. You're being paid to do a job to do what your boss tells you to do and you're going to fucking cry about it. Sasha Banks doesn't realize this is a work. Sasha Banks is a giant fucking mark for herself. And this isn't the first time that she's done this shit where nope. she's whined and complaining. You know, I'm going to take time off now. Yep. So I expect that she will be champion within about a week. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no way that's true. Was Vince working as Patreon? That's what he's doing in there, recording, taking a shit. And Sasha comes in to disrupt this thing. Uh, That's what I'm going with. I mean, that's what's being reported. And like I said, everything that comes out of Ryan Satin's mouth, I just immediately assume is a work now because he's under fucking payroll. Okay, so Santina. Santino just happens to be down there for the weekend. Well, dude, there were so there were so many people backstage. I mean, Sting was backstage. I, I Undertaker yeah, was backstage. I, I, 
I know, right? And when you say Undertaker and Sting, the next thing that comes to mind is Santino Morello. So yeah, I mean, that it's the obvious transition as we're making those connections. And I guess they say, always bring your gear, right? So always bring your bra and panties wait, if you're wait. Santino. You never know when you're going to get inserted I think, into this. Thing. I think Nia Jax was in catering too. So One of them is a fucking walking zombie. One of them thinks that he's the fucking crow. And the other one thinks that he's a woman. Like, yes, I think all three of these things kind of go together. I'm not buying this in any way, too. I mean, okay, so when did this thing happen? Vince is back in his private area. He let he leaves Gorilla, and now they've just dropped on Sasha that this is happening as she's waiting to go through a no, couple no, spots no, no, before no. this thing. This was much earlier in the day. Okay, so still, that doesn't ex- make an excuse in any way why you run out this comedy spot in the 29 spot. Oh, you pulled I, I the six disagree. earlier inside this match because it completely stole the momentum away from what we had here at the end, which any, which even inside of itself, yeah. I am over the top. I am pun intended over the top. that Charlotte has had this added to her resume. It's another just notch of greatness here for the queen. But even I, even I got to come to the realization here. I don't necessarily know at this point, and, and we want to see how this thing plays out going forward, what direction they're going to go with Charlotte towards WrestleMania, but I don't know if they did the best business going, you know, all around here. I think this should have been Baszler's moment. You could have made just as you made drew later in the night, you make Baszler here. Now I think you could still go around about the match that needs to happen. And in, uh, the smack attack crew was joined by Billy Ray Valentine last night. They went live after the rumble. They were all three kind of in agreement, putting over it. I really couldn't buy into it as well. You know, they're, they firmly believe that a good majority of people want to see Charlotte Flair versus Becky at WrestleMania. I don't Absolutely buy it. I not. still think your money match, your absolute money match, even more so than Ronda Rousey, would be Baszler versus Becky at this point. Yeah. And so if you want to have that crossover appeal, you're looking for that marketability, as Jargon, you and I talked about, then you add Ronda Rousey in as that enforcer. She gets to play kind no, of that no, Mike Tyson no, no. role. I'm so over Ronda fucking Rousey. I know, but if she's going to get involved, you know they want her there because of that crossover appeal in their mind. I don't think she has any crossover appeal. Everybody keeps trying to convince me that she does, but ever since she got knocked the fuck out, nobody gives a shit about Ronda Rousey. She used to have that crossover appeal, but I think that that is faded. Yep. Um, Let's kind of run through a couple of the other more interesting ladies that were inside of this rumble. Bianca Belair breaks the record with seven eliminations. I thought she absolutely made herself into a star. Um, I also now firmly believe she is going to lose at TakeOver Portland, and she will be debuting on the main roster on Monday Night Raw, the Monday after WrestleMania. But I still think that's too goddamn long. Like, I'd have her on fucking Raw tonight. Jogger, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We were talking about that next, the next, step in the evolution of this women's movement who would be that next four to represent you threw out bianca belair i i jumped on board with you wholeheartedly here i mean she's special we're talking about someone that you can market that has that unique look that has a great style about her I mean, she looks like a star in there i mean she's built well she's got that strength she's athletic she is going to appeal to different demographics and absolutely she went out there last night and made a name for herself we didn't even talked about that she was kind of just a, a placeholder going into Portland. 
But how are they going to keep her hot between Portland and WrestleMania if they're going to wait for for that when you make that move to shift her to the red or blue? I'm with you now. It's got to happen sooner than later. I'd run her out there this week and start teasing at it and use it as hype for the TakeOver Portland and then make that hard move with her following the TakeOver series. I think a great spot. And it's so hard, though, to make that move to the red or blue, especially during WrestleMania season. I think a perfect spot for her in this very you know crowded upper echelons. We're talking about where these women are going to be placed at WrestleMania. For Bianca Belair, Let's roll with it here. I think you have to give her that women's battle royal championship or you know victory this year at WrestleMania. The only thing I'm concerned with with Bianca Belair is she has this rare kind of genetic thing where her ribs tend to pop out of place. That's what actually ended her earlier track and field career. It's like a rib dysplasia kind of thing. Um, so I, I do worry about her on the, the red and blue on the road. Uh, that That's my only concern with Bianca Belair. That's always been my only concern with Bianca Belair. Big Joe, what what's your opinion on Bianca? I'll, I'll kind of just... Um repeated what you said there because you know especially when we start getting to some of these spots like on the apron and whatnot when you if you have this kind of rib condition i mean you're landing on your back and your ribs so if that's potentially an issue i think that you need to maybe try and work around that or just and again that's difficult especially if they're working or all these house shows and whatnot i mean just uh, the potential for injury there is extremely high if uh, there's some legitimacy to uh, this condition that she has speaking of legitimately high let's talk about otis um, Otis is the most over talent that was inside of the women's Royal Rumble match. Him saving Mandy twice and, and attempting to save Mandy and Sonya for a third time. And then he just drops them. Um, guys, I, I, I don't know what to make out of this entire Otis and Mandy thing. It's a very, very beauty in the beast kind of storyline. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is this going to work? Long term, I would, I don't know, but short term, I think it, I think it's I, I think it's it's good. There's comedy there. There's uh, you can play off of. And I mean, and can you blame the guy? Funny doesn't equal money. <laughs> I don't like comedy that's in true. pro wrestling. It, yeah. That's just one of my no, tropes. Uh, and, and I get to give him props. I mean, he was hiding under the ring there for quite a while. Yeah, quite a while. Uh, yeah. Huckleberry, what did you think of the Otis spot? I, I think there is a. Sp- you have a place for comedy if it is done right inside professional wrestling. This is a variety show. You have different flavors for, you know, for different personalities there. Hey, you got to admit, you know, especially that first time where he just rolls out from under the ring there and catches her. Yeah. You know, it looked, it looked kind of weird on that elimination. And you're like, Oh, okay. Now you see why it comes together. It comes out of nowhere. It was a pop moment. I thought it was a fun spot inside of the, inside of the rumble match. I it's okay it was okay with it. Eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have no sense of humor. I'm sorry. Although I, I, I take it back because I laughed my ass off at Brock Lesnar later on in the night. Yeah. At least I wasn't like saying the Santina thing. That This was better than Santina. Well, I think, you know, yeah, this is, our, this is early in the match. It's not really, you're not taking away from that, that final, that stretch home on this thing. They get it over with. It's out of the way. Mm-hmm. Let's speak to the, you know, the bigger issue at hand here, Jargo. I do think it has a place, but you have to be very careful with its shelf life and how much attention that you're paying to it. This thing gets maybe 30 seconds, 90 seconds a show. That's fine. Now, when you start, you're getting into where you're crossing that line of you're giving entire segments of something like Lana and Bobby Lashley. Oh, oh yes, you know, I mean, I, I love me. I love me. Some just terrible, terrible, cheesy reality television. But when you're starting to, 
dedicate multiple segments, you know, 15, 20 minutes of airtime to things. That's when you jump the shark. That's when you kill momentum. And that's when you wear people thin. Joe? And you can run into the same problem with the Carmel and R-True thing where you can go too far with that, right? So, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Naomi. Naomi returns, which was not a big surprise. I was floored by the pop that she got. I, I, I was just absolutely taken well, aback by the pop that she got. Go ahead, Joe. Well, look, when she won the, the, the SmackDown Women's Championship, people loved that. Right. She, she was just kind of this one that kind of went away. And I think a lot of people was kind of supported her. And when she won the title, she kind of had a rejuvenation to her career. Even her entrance got a little bit, a lot more robust doing the glow thing. And I got, I think that the, there's, she still has a lot of fans. Naomi pissed me the fuck off in this match. <laughs> Naomi does her stupid Kofi spot because that's her role in Royal Rumbles. Now she rides she the barricade all the way around. She gets to the announce table and she just fucking stands there. <laughs> And she stands there and she continues to stand there at a certain point, like five, six different girls have come out. And I'm like, somebody go over there and knock her off of the fucking table. Jesus Christ. What the fuck are you people doing? She's out. All you have to do is knock her off the table, (laughs) throw her on the fucking floor and she's gone. But instead she was in the match for like two thirds of the fucking match standing on a table. While doing this, it was like, is that what she was doing? Yeah. The fact that you just did that for me and I did not record the video is very, very, <laughs> it makes me sad. Right. We're correct audio so people can't see it. Yeah. Rick, what did you think of the uh, Naomi spot? Yeah, as, as we're making, you know, we're talking about the markability and the potential star power there with Bianca Belair. I mean, you have that built in with Naomi, but for some reason, they, they didn't really invest in that. Mm-hmm. It's it always she's gone to that side, you know, kind of pushed aside. But the fans gravitate towards her. I mean, that pop, as you said, Jargo, it was, it was damn impressive. They were happy to see the return there. But I'm wondering, you know, she's been gone for a little while, and it makes you know the heart grow fonder. Absence, you know, how can I miss you? If you haven't been gone, they absolutely missed her. But I wonder, you know, is she packing on a little more lbs in that booty because it looked like she was very weary about taking that taking that walk across the. Uh, the commentary table paneling to get back into that ring. I think that's what was holding her back for a, you know, a little while to make sure that that was going to be able to support her. And then she was waiting, you know, she knew when her elimination was coming, she's waiting for that spot to be set up inside the ring there. So, yeah, it, it was stupid. that's one thing that's that's one thing that's always kind of confused me with that spot. Even when Kofi did it, is they, they go through this whole elaborate, especially some are very elaborate, uh, this thing to where he avoids getting eliminated, only to then, as soon as he do it, to get eliminated. Uh, that always kind of felt weird to me that you go through all this trouble just to dump his ass out there. Yeah, just stupid. Uh, let's talk about Shayna Baszler, the woman that should have won we this have match. To. We have to. Um, well, I mean, even though I know that you hate Shayna Baszler, I think that you still will admit. Shayna oh, yeah. Baszler should have won this match. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. Yep. Yep. I may not like her style, but yep. I hear you. Rick, I know that you are super happy about all this Shar Shar bullshit. Um, wh- what was your opinion of your, your real opinion, not your shill victory shill opinion about Shayna Baszler not winning this match, regardless if Charlotte won it or not? You know, I want to I, I go just little bit off topic here about Baszler. I don't, I don't understand this. Maybe you guys can help me out here. I, I'm becoming like strangely, like overly attracted to Shayna Baszler when I see her out there. I think it's because I, like I respect like her work so you much. You are a man and she is a woman. So don't, 
Don't you fucking label us. <laughs> you fuck Canadian piece of shit. Care what you do up there in the oh, great north. You don't label hell. people in the United States of America. But no, I this has like been growing over the last couple of weeks. And I'm watching her in there performing and watching her work. It's just I, I get to so much more of a great appreciation for it. And I know it's probably and there's a lot of people flipping out. Oh, my God, RBV, how could you say that there? And I understand I'm a bit more worldly than most of our listeners out there, and especially those that I'm joined with on air. So I'm more open and in tune and key towards those things. I can see people for a greater value. But I got to say, man, she's, she's been putting it together. She's been very impressive here. And I do got to agree. This should have been her night. This should have been a time to make Baszler arrive on the scene. And I thought what was very telling going back to NXT this past week where, you know, she's really hammering home. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay. Immediately to me, it's like, okay, you're winning you're the fucking rumble. Yeah. <laughs> you're winning the rumble. Yep. And, and, I, and you talk about excitement from an audience. That place loved it when she made her entrance. I think they, you know, they were behind her. They thought this... It was one of those love to hate situations. They know she's going to come in here and dominate. She absolutely did. Now I'm not. I'm not giving up, and I don't want to just say this absolutely ruined this rumble. I thought it would have been better business, but we still have a long ways to go here. Now going back to reference something that the guys were talking about last night on the post show review from the crew from the Smack Attack and Billy Ray Valentine. They seem so set on Charlotte winning this thing and challenging Becky. Nope. I don't see that as the case at all. Jargon, you and I talked about, you know, what is a potential here? We were having a hard time placing a direction for Charlotte. We didn't think they were going to give her this nod. What was she going to be involved with at WrestleMania? And it was kind of that that default option is move her back to the blue brand and then set up a triple threat with Sasha and Bailey. I said last Monday moved into a a fatal four way is what we also proposed last Monday in the locker room. I asked you, should we be looking at Charlotte Flair as a legitimate possibility to win the rumble, move over to SmackDown face off with Bailey at WrestleMania. And that's the mania match. That's the only way that the SmackDown women's championship women's championship gets on the WrestleMania card because there ain't nobody on SmackDown that's worth facing off for the championship, especially after the drizzling shits gets beat here in the next match. Um, so you, you got Bailey as the champion who in the fuck is she going to face? It has to be Charlotte. The only way that you get there is Charlotte wins the rumble and you can still get to Shayna versus Becky at WrestleMania. Yeah, I think in, in, here's easily how you make this connection. And I wouldn't be surprised to now, you know, we'll see what this development with the Sasha Banks stuff. I'm not really buying into this as well, but you could add, you could add Sasha into that because, you know, that was a rumor. Is it going to be Sasha Bailey finally squaring off against one another? I don't think that in itself is a WrestleMania. That's, that's kickoff show material. I don't think people are really invested to that. Uh-huh. It's, it's too late, too long gone that people would care about that thing. That, that was two years ago. Two? That you kind of shit. Missed. That was like five years ago yes. at this point. Yeah. Well, it was it was pretty much ruined as soon as Sasha broke broke K after they actually had their match in NXT and she's over there hugging super fan and all that shit. Uh, but but if you were gonna pull that thing on the red and blue years ago, that you should have went with that thing. So you're gonna need Charlotte Flair. The same reason you added Charlotte Flair last year. I mean, you need you need someone to go yeah. in there and work that match for you. She was there to take those bumps. She is the alpha. She carried that thing. She carried Ronda and Becky, even though the heat was between those two. 
So, and as much as Becky wants to talk about how she'd never beaten Asuka, guess who else she's never beaten? Shayna Baszler. And Becky is still the champion. She's looking for a contender. Shayna comes out. Boom, you're set up for Mania. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, it's it, Charlotte's on Raw. Yes. Okay. She has this option now. She can challenge for either championship. What you do there, and obviously, is when you know when Char goes to the blue branch, she becomes that that straight baby. So you have a, a show of respect there between Charlotte and Becky. Say, you know what? We have done amazing things. We have carried our end as the horsewomen. Let's go each make some history here at WrestleMania. You've got something ahead of you that you that's going to unfold for you, whatever that might be, Becky. I need to go over there and slap some sense into our other two sisters. Sasha and Bailey, I'm making the move. I mean, it's an easy out for you. The SmackDown women's division is the drizzling shits. And that is officially the new nickname I am going with for Lacey Evans. The drizzling shits, Lacey Evans. She gets defeated by Bailey in nine minutes. Uh, Bailey retaining the SmackDown women's championship. And this match was fucking awful. Lacey Evans is fucking awful. I've been telling you that Lacey Evans is fucking awful since her days in NXT. She hasn't gotten any better. She's an incredibly unlikable babyface. The only babyface on that roster that's more unlikable than Lacey Evans happens to be Charlotte Flair. This thing was the shit. And I gotta call this out because we saw it a couple times on this show. Why in the fuck is a referee... Going over to check on an injured talent during a wrestling match. The entire point of a wrestling match is to incapacitate your opponent for the count of three. Oh no, she's hurt. She hurt her knee. Then go over and put her in a fucking figure four and make that bitch tap out. This is not hard. This is not fucking rocket science. Joe, go ahead. So, I mean... uh the issues with this, I mean, even during the entrance with this, I believe it was during Bailey's entrance. We're, this is the point of the show where we're cutting over and we're introducing all the, the all the international commentators during Bailey's entrance. We're cutting away from a wrestler's entrance to do this shit. It should have been done at the beginning of the show. That's issue number one. And then just the match, again, for, again, this is my opinion, but I think we have the roles completely reversed here. We have Bailey, who even just when you watch her in her entrance, you could tell, or at least this is how my interpretation of it, you could, she feels uncomfortable in her own skin being a heel. And then you have Lacey Evans, who should be. And then again, you have the audience reacting in the improper way in this match. And, and even at, at, at the end of this, now, because I try and pay attention to the details. The camera is right there on her, and you see that the, basically the crowd having zero reaction. You can hear booze kind of happening for Bailey. Uh, that to me, that smells production piping in booze to make it feel like she's getting over as a heel. Well, it's not like you know Lacey Evans fell off the top rope twice trying to do shit that she can't fucking do. Uh, Huckleberry, this was my biggest issue with this match, and it was the finish. All right, so Lacey pin or er, or er, Bailey pins Lacey, yeah. grabs a hold of the tights. And Mitchell Cole's just like, whatever you got to do to win. (laughs) Do you remember back at Full Gear when MJF kicked Cody Rhodes in the balls? And JR lets out with, you little bastard. Why did you do that? (laughs) It sold the entire moment. He was outraged by the heel doing dastardly shit. And Mitchell Cole's just like, well, you know, whatever you got to do to win. 
So fucking stupid. Well, there's, there's a reason that one is revered as the voice of professional wrestling. And the other one's uh, Mitchell uh, Cole? Yes. And people want to tell me, oh, Mitchell Cole's really not that bad. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> He's not at what he does. But it's not. It's just not what he does. It's the drizzling shits, kind of like Lacey Evans. Yeah. It, it's to, you know he's a pitch man. He's there for those transitions to talk about the sponsors and things like that. But yeah, absolutely in that spot here. But hey, look look at the match itself. Why is why should we expect them to be invested? I mean, it, obviously the creative wasn't invested. Was. The agents are invested. Yeah. The talents aren't invested. The fans aren't invested. Nobody cares. So who gives who gives a shit about it? To get back to your point, they're talking about the refs checking on some of the you know some of these competitors while they're down. Well, could the same logic, I mean, isn't what is being applied there? Why do they check on them in other combat sports? You want to see you as a referee, you're at your discretion to, you want to be able to provide the, the best possible competition between these two as a showcase of the talent skills. So you want to make sure they're at their best. It's a protection for the individuals. Then the match would be stopped. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. Okay, can you continue here? We want to make sure this is a fair bout. We don't want you to be at a disadvantage, a severe disadvantage. You Anderson see that in other Silva had his sports. fucking leg broken in an MMA fight. The referee didn't go over and say, are you okay? I got a broken fucking leg. Of course I'm not okay. No, okay. The match is over then. Match is over, yeah. That's it. Don't, don't ask. Don't, no, they want to check on him. Obviously, you break a leg, you're going to see a bone popping out there. But you'll see in the MMA and different combat sports, they will say, hey, they, they want to get a response from you to see if you are able to go on. That's what they're playing towards there. Uh, I think they overly do it because we saw it, hell, at least twice during the evening. Yeah. Like I said, if, if there is a, a legit injury, you know, we have to do take into account, you know, into the case. This is entertainment. You don't want something to be continued on between these towns. But I think they they overplay it here. And it was very unnecessary inside of this match because obviously it just gave an it was just an underhanded opening for Bailey to take advantage here. Get a little more creative. Make sure that if you're going to run this routine, I almost want to say it happened three times on this show. This is where the miscommunication between these agents is becoming more of an issue. They kind of just bullshit inside the match. If you're going to do that, I think you need to be a little bit more subtle about it. I mean, at least like roll over and have maybe one of the other referees kind of off camera kind of ask, hey, are you okay? But I mean, in just in plain view on the heart, just right there, just it, it's again, I, I, I see both approaches here, but just it's when you, when, like you said, Jerg, when the idea is for you to incapacitate your opponent to win a match, why? Oh, I don't know. It's just dumb. Just dumb. But it was again, a dumb again, match. I, I just see a bit of the other approach too, but just it, it, it is a kind of a confusing thing. If you're going to do that you need to be more subtle about it well this goes into an obvious work if there's a situation where they're legitimately checking on someone i'm okay with that with them going that subtle approach which this we is would see later on here. in the night with aj styles right yeah. this doesn't this is an obvious work here so why the hell isn't bailey selling this more she should have been in there screaming like she is in agonizing pain that this really cut, sets an alarm you know there's a reason for to be concerned from this referee to step in here to see if she's okay and then bailey steps in with the underhanded tactics. But no, I mean, this it just seems so dead in itself and already inside of a match that is struggling to pick up any momentum to hold the fan base, to try to create any sort of excitement, then go ahead and kick it down another notch here. I mean, this is the way this was put together. That's what's at fault. Speaking of matches being put together at fault, let's talk about a strap match, kind of. Um, the Fiend versus Daniel Bryan in a kind of strap match. 
Uh, match goes 17 minutes. And you know what? I take it all back. Give me the red light. Give me the red light for every Fiend match because the Fiend without the red light just looks fucking stupid. It's just, it's so disconnected. It's just, yeah. it's like, you know, Freddy Krueger walking around in fucking daylight. Like, <laughs> it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. But that's okay because the Fiend sucks. Every match that the Fiend has sucks. Everybody that the Fiend encounters ends up sucking. It, it, it's just, this whole thing is so bad. It's so disconnected. It's just, it doesn't exist in a pro wrestling narrative. The character's really cool. Go put it in a fucking Tom Savini movie where it belongs. It does not belong on a pro wrestling show. Joe, what do you make of this entire fiend bullshit? I'll, I'll leave that for me. The issue was, did we completely forget how to book and how to do a strap match? Yes. Yes, we did. Because the strap match was always, you have your two opponents tied together. And the idea of the match is to incapacitate the other one to the point where you can go and touch each of the four posts consecutively. And if you miss one, then you have to go back and start from scratch. That's that's how I remember every other strap match happening, but apparently we just, we changed the rules and didn't tell anybody. Rick, well, no, what did you point, think of this shit? Hold on. Hold on. I, I don't understand why we had, to, why it was necessary to go with this gimmick inside of a, you know, your ultimate pay, your gimmick pay-per-view with the rumble matches itself. Because it was everybody, the only legitimate way to get the fucking title off of the fiend without him taking a pin. Thank you. Well, hold on. Inside of this thing, obviously that's not the direction they wanted to go. And talking about that, they didn't recognize the change in the rules here. They absolutely did. They made it perfectly clear that this thing, the reason that they, from the get-go, the reason they went with the strap was that they're to kind of eliminate the crazy antics and any kind of running or the disappearing or the mind games that you would be within reach of your opponent that you could hold on to control. This would be, let's just go at each other, legit last man standing sort of opportunity, just beat each other down, pinfall or submission. They made that clear. You guys are flipping out about this. I didn't hear you flipping out at Wrestle Kingdom when they changed the rules to a Texas death match. Okay, hang Nobody on. Nobody was second. complaining about that of sorts. They just made an adjustment and they did explain it. So I do want to defend them in that under those circumstances. They explained it during the entrances. I knew what they were doing coming into this thing. They were talking about it all week. On what show? I picked it up somewhere. I knew what the hell it was. Jesus Christ, you're watching way more WWE TV than I am. problem. But again, inside inside of itself, what did this lend to the match? It didn't really do anything. Nothing. It only really came into play for one ridiculous spot where you're choking the fiend out. But oh shit, you know what? He's wearing a mask. It's a fake mouthpiece. You're doing absolutely <laughs> nothing there with that choke out. I mean, it, it was it didn't serve any purpose. That was my biggest issue here. You talk about all around. If, the women's match that preceded this thing, this was unable to recapture this audience whatsoever. Drugger's 100% right, and there is a disconnect with the fiend going to the ring here. And I and I want to give some props here to, to Greg Horsley, who brought this up you know, last night during the live discussion over in the Hami Media Discussion Group. This fiend character is not designed to go over what, maybe seven minutes in a match. Yeah, it, it, it just does it's not just work. It's just getting exposed. 
Yep, it does not work in any way, shape, or form. So we and, know and to go well to go a little even further. You know, Billy Ray Valentine on the post show last night on the live show there on Twitch. Uh, I mean, uh, it was twitch.com backslash I mean Media Group. I mean, he's really he's just throwing Bray Wyatt under the bus right now. He's just saying Bray Wyatt is absolutely terrible. He is uh, great, great on his character work, but absolutely sucks when it comes to transitioning that into the side of the ring. Yep. The character just does not work in a pro wrestling context in any way, shape or form. Uh, we got a couple more matches here and Jesus Christ, we're already at two fucking hours. Um, <laughs> Becky Lynch defeats Oscar in 18 minutes to retain the raw women's championship. Um, and by this point, I just didn't care. I just didn't care after, after Bailey versus fucking the drizzling shits after the sucky fiend versus bald ass Daniel Bryan. I just did not care care i was so checked out of this i was like watching kobe coverage man i just <laughs> i did not give a shit about this match by the time it started joe yeah. what, what what was your, your thoughts on becky and oscar i'm right there with you man i was running out of steam at this point like i think you had mentioned directly these wwe shows it's, it's a it's a roller coaster we're going up and down up and down and then this was definitely a, a down and just it's and still knowing that we had the men's rubble after this i just i was i was running out of steam with this whole thing and just with oscar and this has always been an issue i know my co-host on over on turbo talk carl's always felt this way as well that just it's she's so hard to believe and just the, the way that she goes about her mannerisms it's so i guess unless you're really kind of familiar with the, the all the japanese stuff it just it's it, it feels so strange and it's just like it's it's almost comedic for me when i when i watch her and it's not supposed to be comedic so let's talk about the man rick what did you think of becky's performance in this matchup against oscar Again, I've, I've never been big on Becky as a performer inside the ring. She's very robotic. Things need to be perfectly placed out in her spots. Uh, it just screams. You can tell that she she grew so much from the performance center because it's absolutely that style that reflects in every time that she takes to that ring there. Now, with that, though, I'm not ready to push Becky aside. I, I'm not so naive to to dismiss the markability and the money that's to be had there with the man You know, for whatever it is. These fans are still gravitating towards it. I don't think they really understand it. She doesn't do herself really any favors anytime she opens her mouth, but it's still there. You could still cultivate this thing and, and sculpt it in a manner where there could be tons of money to be had to continue to miss this thing. Going into this match, I, I said Becky needs to go over. I thought she needs – this is a big win for her. She accomplished that. Now let's move on. In the fashion that they did it, I don't think they really hurt Asuka. You know, something backfired on her. We are kind of holding her in regards now as a, a tag team. So she can focus on that. Let's worry about that division. Let's get these two away from each other. Let's get them going on their directions towards WrestleMania. My problem with this entire thing is the entire red and blue women's roster just sucks. It just sucks. Outside of Becky Lynch and Charlotte, you bring up, for some reason, people keep gravitating towards Becky Lynch. Well, Charlotte is about as unlikable of a character as you can possibly have. And there's nobody else on the roster that can even halfway go. So people flock to Becky Lynch. It's just, I don't know, man. I feel like the women's revolution is just dead. Is she almost had the successful one kind of by default then, by what you were saying, where... There's really nobody else, so it has to be Becky. Well, this is one of those things where Becky got over in spite of the booking, not because yeah. of it. Sure. Yeah. This is Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30 all over again. Yep. 
Yeah, and it, it 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 wasn't even inside the booking. It wasn't that she necessarily got over on even her own merits inside the ring, her technical prowess and all that. It was, it was a desire. Fans. It was a desire and a need that you want to create something of your own that, that you continue to see. And it was more of a case of growing sick of and the disdain towards Charlotte, that yep. they needed some sort of alternative. And Becky happened to be there at that time, that place, because you'd already run through that with a Sasha. They had already just botched the shit out of anything with Bailey. So by default, you go back to who pretty much played that fourth role in the horsewomen and it's Becky. Yep. So by default, she falls into that role. And then you go beyond that thing. This, as as you're saying, this, the red blue divisions are absolute garbage. I mean, you can, you can go to Natalia every now and then as like that, that ring general, or I don't know, locker, locker room leader, but you talk about robotic. She's into that. There's a huge disconnect in her personality. People just have never caught on with her. I think what's sad is we're about ready to, just, you know, well, going back to the women's rumble, I, I'm looking at right now, if we're having a meeting this morning, talking about how we're ranking what we've got on hand, how bad is it that Beth Phoenix would be in the conversation for your top three women in your damn division? Um, one of the biggest issues that I have with the really the women's division throughout the company. All right. Going back to that women's rumble of the 30 women that entered that rumble match. How many of them did you know? Oh, here comes fill in the blank when their music hit. I'm going to say about eight. Everybody else, I was like, oh, this music's cool. Who's that? Oh, Dana Brooke. Okay. Never see her on TV. Shotzi Blackheart, she's been in the in the company for like almost a cup of coffee at this point. I, even <laughs> Tony Storm. Green. Chelsea, Chelsea Green. Green. I've never heard her fucking music before. Yep. Yep. Just, it's just so disconnected. There's no emotional investment in that division outside of Charlotte and Becky. Let's yep. talk about There's the... Oh, there's ahead, a lot of potential there. Like, like just even now, as I look at the list of women involved in a rumble match, you know, like you mentioned, Chelsea Green, Shotzi Blackheart. I mean, Mercedes Martinez. I mean, the, the NXT, the NXT, NXT, all NXT, right? There's a potential there for a great women's division uh, to get us invested in these ones. I mean, say what you will about Chelsea Green. Uh, I'll kind of pitch for her. I mean, I think she's got a great look. She's got a great build. I think she has a ability in a ring that a lot of people don't really aren't really aware of. There's there's so much talent in this division if they just use it properly. Including whoever booked this match, because I think Chelsea Green was in there for about 15 fucking seconds. Yeah, uh, not even. But let, let's talk about the men's rumble match. Drew McIntyre wins in a little over an hour. One hour and 50 seconds is what I had on the clock. We'll talk about Drew here in a second. Let's let, let's talk about the two rumbles, because I, I felt like there were two rumbles inside of this match. You had rumble number one, which featured Brock Lesnar just going through everybody. He eliminates numbers two through 12, uh, including number six, Kofi Kingston, number seven, Rey Mysterio, number eight, Big E, number 10, Shelton Benjamin, number 12, MVP, number 13, Keith Lee, number 15, Ricochet, finally gets him with a punch to the dick because we all know the only way you can beat Brock Lesnar is by punching him in the dick. We have seen this now for what? Two fucking years that the only way Brock ever gets beat, you have to punch him in the dick. Maybe he should go back over to New Japan, hang out with fucking Rocky Romero, the king of sneaky style, and Rocky can give him an itty bitty little cup because of all those steroids that he's taken over the course of the years. And Brock Lesnar will be unbeatable if he just protects his testicles. Uh, Did 
He did the old uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles trick. Uh, me no beat you, and me punch you in dick. Yep, me punch you in dick. Uh, Seth yep. Rollins punched him in the dick to beat him. I mean, like, no matter who it is to beat Brock Lesnar, you gotta punch him in the dick. <laughs> like, the game plan is out. Like, we know how to beat the Kansas City Chiefs now. We know how to beat Brock Lesnar. You just kick him in the fucking cock. Um, I, I, I don't even know where to begin. I guess let's start with number 13. Because that was the first time anything interesting happened. Keith Lee comes into the fucking match. And suddenly I have Keith Lee and Brock Lesnar. And yes, please, I want to see that match. Rick, you're sitting there shaking your head. Like you're, you're just the rest of it was just Brock over strong. Like I, that's cool. I'm fine with that as the story of the match. Yes, but it's boring as shit. No, it was not at all. It's building that heat there. It was magnificent. The way that they structured the first thing, this this men's rumble, match. absolutely, you come for the marquee, you come for the main course. It delivered here. It saved this entire evening from all the ups and downs of the roller coaster here. They hit a home run with this thing. Props to whoever put this thing together. Brock running through all these lesser towns. And there was even some intrigue at different times through there that you're like, you know Brock's going to get him, but just for those brief moments, you're you're kind of on that hook. You know, you get somebody like a Cesaro. You know, you're like, okay, could, could we get something here? Could we no. do something fun Nobody here? Nobody believed that Cesaro was going to eliminate I, Brock fucking Lesnar. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That's not about the intrigue. We know most of these outcomes. It's about the ride. What can they do when they get in there and hook up? Can he get a little bit in? Can he? show that there's a little vulnerability to the beast just to see them square off like that. That's your intrigue for a few of those things. Shelton Benjamin had some great intrigue. I, I, I knew the entire time, don't turn your back on him. He's going to screw you over. Clear. But a little bit in you is sitting there like, damn, you know what? I like to see those guys, the, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, back together from OVW. Like to really? see what those guys can do. Nope, there he goes. There's that little bit of just sit back and then have fun and enjoying it as Brock is just infuriating the masses by eliminating one after another, essentially of individuals that are the waste, the trash that have no no chance of making any runs through this thing. They're not going to be standing there towards the damn end, but then there were a few. That place goes absolutely berserk when Kofi gets his opportunity, and Kofi is able to survive the two minutes. He's not the first one to be tossed out there, and then you get a little bit of that numbers game. They had a little bit of fun with the, the three-on-one with Big E and Kofi and Ray trying to team up to take down the beast. And then yet Brock comes firing right back out, steals a, a, a play from the Hardys, springboards himself off and starts throwing people out left and right there. There, there was some intrigue. The first part of this match, tremendous build, getting rid of them. And what you do when you eliminate all those essential losers that weren't going to have any opportunity at all on the back end of this thing, especially when he got down to the end and Seth Rollins makes his entrance at number 30. How convenient. You could actually, you could actually believe that the individuals inside that ring could make a claim and a reason to win that thing. And that is something that the Royal Rumble match has greatly been missing for so many years. I guess. I, I, I don't know, man. It, the, to me, like the punchline with Brock Lesnar, like when you start telling like a, a, a fart joke, right? And you fart the first time and everybody's like, huh, that's funny. And you get up to about the third or fourth time and people are like, yeah. dude, it, it's not funny anymore. And then you, you do that. it like another half a dozen times. It becomes funny again. 
That to me was the story of the first half of this rumble. Nobody's sitting in there thinking that a Bobby Roode has any chance, but then you give that little bit of hope there when you got Kofi Ray and big E teaming up and then you build up. And then yes, you do get that ultimate payoff. Keith Lee comes in there places like, okay, they remember Keith Lee because he was that breakout star during the survivor series. We got another big guy in here. I think what really sells it, everybody popped. You go over in the live discussion, everybody's pulling. And he's on hold again. When Brock brings up who the he- what do he say? Like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> who the this- fuck is who that? Are you? I okay. popped for that. I thought that was uh, tremendous. Yeah. And Keith Lee goes in there, you know, he had another tremendous run, another shining moment for him. But then you get add to that intrigue because the next guy out is Braun Strowman. Now no, we've got some. No, there was nothing there for Strowman. Nothing. I, we've, we already saw Brock with one punch. Damn near knock that big motherfucker out. I know, but now you've got these three big men in here. You've got actual people that look like professional wrestlers. You've got houses. You've got, you've got fucking mountains in here in this rumble match. There was a point when, when we had, we had Brock and we had Keith Lee, we had Strowman come out. I legitimately thought for a second, I was like, okay, Strowman and Keith Lee, they're going to get together and they're going to get rid of Brock. I I legitimately thought that that was going to happen. I never thought that at any point. At no point. I had a feeling that, but it didn't happen. But what I wasn't planning on was Ricochet coming in at number 15 and kicking Brock Lesnar in the cock for Drew McIntyre to come in at 16 and take over this Royal Rumble match. Um, We got to talk about number 18. AJ Styles reportedly injured during this match. Um, Evidently, AJ took a nasty bump. Um, doing the, the the springboard came down on his shoulder bad and like separated his shoulder immediately thereafter like edges like standing there and the referee like calls him over and he's like hey we need to get AJ out of this fucking ring and so Edge is like all right cool and goes over and tosses AJ um, and and that's why AJ was in there for for such a little amount of time number 21 Edge uh, evidently signed a new three-year deal um, I was floored I was floored because I have no desire to see Edge wrestle ever again after his neck issues. Um, he come, he got a much bigger pop than what I anticipated he would. I mean, he's been gone for nine freaking years. Joe, I, as a fellow Canadian, I'm sure you were ecstatic about this. I, I, w- I was I was very impressed. I was going to say uh, the, the entrance, uh, he got a great pop. Like, so being gone for nine years, definitely one of Canada's favorites. And uh, he impressed me in this match. I thought this was just going to be the comeback thing and then ceremoniously get tossed out. He hung in there. He was in the final four. And uh, I was thoroughly impressed. And, yeah, it sounds like we're going to start seeing more of him. And uh, I initially was uh, skeptical of this, but I'm on board. I think that I, I was uh, – he looks good. Then, of course, at number 25, we would see his tag team partner, Randy Orton, rated RKO, back together. I popped for that. Huckleberry, what, what, were you happy to see Edge come back? Yeah, I was one of those that popped. You know, it was one in, in inside those moments. It was one of those I didn't really, I didn't anticipate to be that excited. And there was that concern. And even through this match, there was some uneasy moments. You're just, mm-hmm. you're, you're hoping that nothing goes wrong in there. But you do have. You got to you got to rely that he's got a tremendous medical team there, that they are okay, that everything is going to be surefire, that he's going to be protected. Nothing's going to go terribly wrong inside of the ring there. But it was a little uneasy at times, but it is great. You know, this is his passion. It's inside of him. It's who he is. He's a professional wrestler. It stays with you. It's that disease. Once you have it, once you're hooked, it's that addiction. So after even nine years here, 
you know, you could tell he's aged a little bit there. He had a little bit of that Vikings look, you know, from the show that he's on there. But in tremendous shape, the audience absolutely loved it. The thing with AJ, hopefully he's okay. I guess reports uh, there was something big with the shoulder. He was with medical staff afterwards before leaving the arena. Uh, hopefully it's nothing extended. But even in that moment, there was a little bit of excitement to see those two squaring up inside the ring. Uh, yes, please. You were talking about Keith Lee and Brock Lesnar. Yes, please. Even we saw Drew and Brock squaring up. Yes, please. To see AJ Styles in edge like that. Sure as hell. Yes, please. I mean, I could take, I'd take that at WrestleMania. Hell, I'll, then we get the tease later with rated RKO and turning it back on each other. Who's going to strike and Randy actually getting, he gets his ass bitten here. I thought that was a nice touch. I'll take those two guys. At WrestleMania, I will take the reunion of rated RKO versus the OC, maybe at the chamber or blood money or something like that. I'm on board for it. Uh, let's talk about the biggest disappointment in the rumble. Number 23, Matt Riddle. Um, Matt Riddle comes in, does about 30 seconds worth of work, gets fucking dumped. Um, I thought this was a huge missed opportunity. I mean, like the Keith Lee and, and, Brock Lesnar thing was great. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. You mean to tell me that you wouldn't have popped even harder if Matt Riddle would have came in at number 13 while Brock Lesnar was standing in the ring all by himself. But once again, the bastard known as Ryan Satin is reporting that Brock Lesnar and Matt Riddle had a bit of an encounter backstage at the Royal Rumble. And I, I can't help but think that's why Matt Riddle was not in this match for very damn long. Joe, what what was your opinion on the Matt Riddle thing? Uh, I'm kind of torn on this. I mean, I, I get it. But at the same time, I think you could have capitalized on a real-life rivalry and encounter here. And, I mean, just that would have made it just – I mean, it wouldn't just feel real. It is real. These guys hate each other, and this is why they want to go after each other in this match. Um you could just tell. I mean, the beginning when when Brock came out, you could tell he was heated over this this thing. I mean, I picked up on that. So I think they they just they made the choices. We got to fucking keep these guys away from each other, otherwise they're gonna destroy each other. Rick, any thoughts on Matt Riddle? Yeah, even before the the satin story broke there, yeah, I'm trying to make sense of this thing. I mean, why wouldn't you utilize that? It, you know, I've been pushing hard for one and two. You know, and they, they could have played it out and build up that suspense, and then you hit bro. You know, who's the next one that's going to be thrown out? I think that would have set it off yeah. even even further. And now looking back on it, that he only got thirty seconds in there, and you could have gave it us the two minutes and had Brock toss him out, but it still would have created that excitement. And I was looking for a reason. Okay, maybe, why wouldn't they have done this if you if you have Riddle on hand, you're planning on using him? And even before this story, you know, my thoughts went to Brock might have just shot this down. He might not have wanted to get in there and work mm -hmm. with this son of a bitch. Sure. Yep. And, and Joe, to kind of what you're talking about, you know, why not, if you're WWE, why wouldn't you try to capitalize on this? Why wouldn't you try to capture that real moment? Well, inside, especially something here, you know, a live event, a major marquee, you don't want something to go out there and go completely wrong where these two start just fucking throwing down on each other. Then you potentially get into a situation like a Daniel Putter in a Kurt Angle. What if, what if Brittle got the best of Lesnar? Yeah, And then you just fucking embarrassed Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. I don't want to deal with him backstage from that, and I don't want to have to repair that image in my marketing campaigns as I'm on the road to WrestleMania. I think as cliche as it kind of sounds, I think it's, it was one of the things where you, you were damned if you do, damned if you don't. 
Right. So it's a, it's a situation where stay away from it. But yeah. if I was WWE and now we can all sit here and speculate and ask why, you know, and talk about how big of a moment that was. And if you're going to punish anything here with Riddle, if that 30 seconds was it was more of a punishment, a rib of whatever, then why even put him in the match? Just hold him out. You got all these other individuals back there. Run somebody else out there. Number 12 was MVP. Number 23, Matt Riddle. You could have easily just flipped those two guys and had that moment between Matt Riddle and Brock Lesnar. Back briefly on MVP. I know we're in the discussion group that we're all in. I was legitimately surprised that people were surprised that MVP was there. Because, I mean, this had already been leaked and kind of out there for quite a while now. I was legitimately surprised that people were surprised he was there. How many people are following MVP at this point? I mean, nothing against the guy. I I, I always liked MVP as a talent. Yeah. But. Yeah. He was kind of uh, out of place in this match. Uh, I think uh, they could have easily substituted maybe like a Cena or somebody else in there. And he's been so out of sight and out of mind for so long that. I, or Kane Velasquez, who who was actually supposed to be in this match. Yeah, nobody cares. Same. Nobody cares. Nobody even knows who Kane Velasquez is. Um, <laughs> number twenty six, Roman Reigns, boot out of Houston for a second time. Um, but as soon as he came out, it was very, very clear that the final four was going to be rated RKO, Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. Huckleberry, you referenced it earlier. Edge and Orton, they have their little thing. It'll be interesting to see how that develops going forward, which leaves us with the two most logical winners going into this thing, Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. I absolutely expected Roman Reigns to win this match. Um, especially after the fiend had won earlier in the night, it seems logical to me that the universal championship match at WrestleMania will be Roman Reigns versus the fiend Bray Wyatt. And it's going to be the drizzling shits. It's going to be absolutely freaking awful. Uh, so instead we end up with drew McIntyre winning, which I I'm a fan of. I, I support drew McIntyre. I like drew McIntyre a lot as a talent, but as I'm looking at this thing, is Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar a main event of WrestleMania? Like, it just, that feels like a, a match that's third or fourth from the top. Mm. Joe, what do you think? I, I think that well, we still have time to build some more investment into this. There's time to make us into something special. But I, but I get what you're saying. That uh, it, it um, I mean, Drew, uh, yeah, it, it's tough. I love Drew, I, 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 but yeah, but I, I I really don't know what to think on there. I get what you're saying, but I mean, just I mean, even just presence wise, I mean, the guy looks like a main eventer. You got to admit that. Yeah, no, I I do. I just I don't necessarily have a whole lot of faith that this match is going to be good. Like when I think of Brock Lesnar and the guys that Brock Lesnar works very very well with, he works very very well with little guys that create okay. a lot of movement that he can pick up and toss around. Rick. Drew McIntyre is not any of those things. How's this going to well, work? I, think still, I still think going overall, the direction here with Brock, they're, they're leaving a number of potential avenues to go down. And it, it could be Kane. It could be Fury. They definitely planted the seeds for Drew McIntyre. There was, it was very intense between those two with that huge elimination. Well, like, do you think Drew McIntyre is going to go face the Fiend now after everything that we saw last night? That ain't happening. It, it, it's it, but we've got some twists and turns again. You know, everybody's immediately we're in, we're just getting ready to go into February, and we're ready to already jump the calendar to early April. 
We have got a hell of a road ahead of us. We got all these twists and turns that we've got to get through to get there. As I said, they're leaving the potential for a number of different avenues that they could go down. But the way that they line that up last night and that entire vibe, the intensity between those two, most certainly it feels that needs to be the direction, at least coming out of there. Brock absolutely selling the hell out of that thing. He is pissed off that he was taken advantage of. Uh, if, if Brock's in the house tonight or the next time he comes around, I sure as hell wouldn't want to be Ricochet, most certainly. Uh, but then there's going to be you know, some retribution and a confrontation with Drew McIntyre. I think the biggest question here is you've got this actually looks like a big fight. You made you had a, a true anointing of a star last night in Drew McIntyre. Now, the question is. You're making that move. You've been teasing, teasing, teasing. You're going to make that make that hard baby face move. How long can Drew McIntyre sustain that? Because in this overall landscape of WWE, you're mentioning those little guys. Drew is going to be a dominant force in, in most cases. You have to really set up and, and map out an extended game plan where you can protect Drew if you're going to make him a face. So that means it's easy with Brock Lesnar. Brock's the beast. People just hate him. Most of the people are just rooting just to take a title off of him. You're going to have to get around that as well, but it's going to, you can make Drew the baby there. From there, you need to line up opponents like a Braun Strowman, like a Lashley, and yes, even a heel Roman Reigns. You need credible opponents on the opposite side of that ring if you're going to position him as a baby face. Or after the Lesnar thing, you make that turn and go back to, you know, the maniacal, just cold-hearted killer Drew McIntyre. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of run they can do here, but I think they could capture something pretty special with Drew on the road to WrestleMania and then truly have that moment, that that great WrestleMania moment. You talk about a road of redemption that you can tell for Drew McIntyre, annoyed at the chosen one so long ago, and then kind of just, you know, exiled from WWE and had to go travel the world in this all this long journey to get back to this moment. Hmm. So overall thoughts, gentlemen, as we wrap up this week's show, Big Joe, final thoughts. What do you got? With the Rumble match, with sorry, with the Rumble show, I'm kind of really 50-50. The, the, the Rumble matches themselves, I thought were very well done for the most part. The, uh, the undercard matches, I mean, were really kind of hit and miss with me. Uh, at, at this point, I thought that they did some, did some good stuff in the Rumble matches, but the rest of the stuff just... It didn't uh, hit the mark with me, pun intended. Rick, overall, final thoughts? Again, there were some things that I liked. I think that they didn't do a whole lot of business on the undercard, but you're coming to an event like the Royal Rumble. You're coming for the main course. You're coming for the steak and potatoes. They absolutely delivered. Again, kudos to the agent agents who put together the men's Rumble match. It was the saving grace. I think they did enough. People are excited. I think people are going to be tuning in to to see what direction they're going to be heading in. But again, we've got a long road to WrestleMania. Not me. I'm going to fucking bed. That's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, and find Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. RBV and I will be back a little bit later on this week for an all-new edition of HTM Sports. I will be back on Wednesday for an all-new edition of Hitting the Super Bowl with myself and Stevie Richards as we preview this week's Super Bowl game. You can find uh, RBV at the real RBV. You can find Joe at TB Talk Pod, right? Did I get that one right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Awesome. You can also find him on Tuesdays at the HTM Podcast Network for Turnbuckle Talk, as well as Thursdays for HTM Tech. Gentlemen, I would like to thank you very much for joining me on this incredibly long show. Now I'm going to go edit, and then I'm going to go to bed. So I guess for now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. I don't give a f-